gagged at two girls, one cup. You cringed at two guys, a girl, and a pizza place. Now it's time to get uncomfortable with Two Nobodies, One Podcast. This is Here's My Movie. Here's my movie. And I hope everyone at home is going. We'll have to do that movie one day, won't we? Yeah, yeah. I think that would be a fun one to do, actually. Is it too sacred for you? No. Oh, God, no. No, it'll be one of those movies that we look back on and realize we were not picky children. I know I've said that about a few things before. I saw it older. I mean, I don't remember it, but it wasn't good then. Nor was Street Fighter. Have, they did they did Double Dragon, didn't they? I never watched that one. Yeah, it had um, Scott Wolf from Party of Five as one of, I don't know, the blue one. Now Party of Fist. Yeah, do, do they have names? I just know them as the blue one and the red well, one. One's called Double and the other's called Dragon, right? <laughs> Wait, were they dragons? Yeah. They'd look like fucking dragons. What else would they be? They were like white guy dragons. Yeah. That's what dragons look like. Right. You're a dragon. We played the uh, the remake of that was pretty cool. Yeah. We we played that. Yeah, we Katie did. was very good at it. I don't know why. I pretty much just screamed until I won. Ah. ah. That's, that's, that's how it became triple <laughs> dragon. Um, so welcome to episode 11. This is day 437 of isolation for us. Uh, it's it's an interesting time to be alive. I don't really want to labour the point because everybody's going through the same shit. Um, it's not news to anyone, is it? Not no. news what? at all. No. <laughs> and let, just let this be known if someone listens to this episode in seven years' time that we were in isolation it was pretty fucking boring. Um, but yet filled with work for the both of us, which is a blessing and a curse. So I did want to talk about that. It's It's a very strange thing to complain about on a public medium, but... Lots of people, I mean, obviously the people who've lost their jobs, uh, that's very sad, but there are people like us who, people keep talking about this extra time oh. that we should have that we don't seem to have. Oh, no, 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 it's far worse. I'm well, actually... Oh, God. It's not yeah. worse for me, but it's like I can acknowledge that I don't have to travel places for things and yeah. therefore the half hour or whatever it would take to get there or hour there and back doesn't exist anymore. So I can acknowledge that. But that was sort of more evenings and weekends. Yeah. Um, for me, the I, I got to work from home a little bit anyway. But the times when I was commuting to an office and stuff like that, you know, you, you save – I've saved like an hour and a half or something um, by the time you add up sort of there and back. And um, a, an office is more distracting for a, an introvert. And a writer. And a writer. The worst place for writers. <laughs> Um, but you know, m- myself, like other work friends, um, a lot of the developers at my work, um, you know, that where there's a good lot of introverts, uh, which is the nature of the business that I work in. And, um, the work from home thing <laughs> doesn't bother us at all, but you see the people that are just constantly like, here's a photo of my hat. Here's a photo of something I saw outside. This is the view from my window. That's my car. Like, you can tell that <laughs> they're the extroverts that are starved for human contact or attention. So um, that's what our instant messaging systems all fill up with. Um, 
and that can be a little distracting, but I mean that's a, easy to turn off. Whereas people coming to your desk at, at a workplace is not. Um, but in the absence of literally any physical event or uh, promotional activity, uh, everything's sort of digital, and everyone's going. We need more written things and content and stuff, and that all sort of filters through me. So, um, yeah, I'm the person to. I'm the workhorse that provides all the shit that is meant to make people buy things in the cybersecurity industry. So that is not an easy task and the more people talk at me about what they need, the less of it I can get done, um, which is a lesson for us all if you happen to be in the cybersecurity business, which you almost certainly are not. So, yeah. This is the first time in my life that I've actually felt sorry for extroverts. <laughs> yeah. Um, recently learned that there was something like 60-something percent of the population. Oh, really? Yeah, so they're a majority. I was going to say they're definitely not a silent majority. You're loud. <laughs> but, like, this is... I mean, for me especially, I've been working home from home for about 11 and a half years now. Um, nothing's really changed except that I don't have the option to go out. Like, that's it. My day-to-day -day is pretty much unchanged. Yeah. Uh, but for extroverts, it's sort of like, and, and it's probably not the best image. I, I mean it in the most flattering way, but it just always, whenever I think of them and how they draw energy being from other humans, I think of that guy from what we do in the shadows, you know, the, the energy vampire yeah. <laughs> who's an amazing character oh he's yeah. hilarious um but, but I we guess all know someone like that that's the vampire that we have in our lives sometimes but for, pun intended it must suck to have to engage with other people to get your energy as opposed to to us like we're kind of built for this like oh i've got to stay at home like okay cool <laughs> I, I get to have me time okay cool and i guess extroverts are stuck with whoever was in the house at the time that they sort of shut things down so yeah hopefully they're not introverts because they'll hate you expecting to see lots of murders from that <laughs> please don't introverts just bottle it up and then write about it or art about it or whatever it is we do yeah why don't you go art about it um yeah and look it's not that i don't miss people or that i don't want to see people i would love to be in the window seat of my favorite cafe having a barista made coffee right now and may it still be there and may it still be there when all of this shit blows over yeah. um but yeah and but i'm sort of keeping in contact with people and there's even people that come out of the woodwork and they're like do you want to do a zoom call for drinks and you're like wouldn't have gone to the pub with you when we were allowed outside well that's a tough one how do you so <laughs> how do you slink out of that then i'm busy i'm busy okay that <laughs> works and it's also honest yeah no, look, no, that to be fair, that doesn't happen very often. To be fair. To be fair. We've been watching a lot of Letterkenny. Yeah. It's, like a lot. Yeah. Like we've destroyed it all in a week. And I like it far more than Nate likes it, but it has to be said that it's pretty much the greatest show of our time. No, 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 stop. When it's on, it's hilarious. When it's off, it's just gibberish. Yeah, but I like that. And shut up. Okay. No, don't shut up. No, what? What is it? It is. Look, it is gibberish in some parts, but. But when they labour the point, it's like a Family Guy joke. Oh, you it's know, not Peter, that Peter bad. Peter Griffin falling over, holding his knee for five hours. I can only assume yeah. someone's probably created that loop. No, not that one. The ah ah. No, I was doing the laugh because I wanted you to do the laugh. No, I'm not doing the laugh because it's not funny. <sighs> but my my point is that yeah, when you when it's a not funny episode or a string of episodes, it's just gets a bit tedious and there's certain characters who you just wish they would stop following and would write out of it but 
they must have moves of the creator or something to hold as blackmail. They really don't seem to know what to do with them creatively, except they just repeat the same formula of the same lines and yeah, it's yeah. not great. But when it's on, when it's absolutely hysterical and they're hitting stride, yeah, it, it's utterly, utterly funny. And if you could just kind of do, remember those best of DVDs? Yeah. Like when I boxed up my DVDs to sell or give away many years ago and they're still sitting in the bedroom. Sorry, Katie. Uh, I had a best of married with children DVD. Oh. Like they used to do those things. I was like, <laughs> hey, I liked the episodes that I saw of this. Why don't I buy a DVD of select episodes that I do or do not know will be gold? I can't believe that you're comparing Letterkenny to married with children. Is one better or worse? Married with Children was fine for its time. I think that Letterkenny is going to be a little more timeless than fucking Married oh, with yeah, Children. Oh, yeah, I doubt Married with Children has aged well. It hasn't. <laughs> but, like, I haven't watched it in more than a decade and I probably hasn't hadn't aged well then either. Uh, but no, my, point, my point is that if you could just get the best episodes distilled and given to you because you're not really going to miss out on much, there is a, a kind of an overarching plot. Yeah. But it's not like Game of Thrones when it was at its best, where you're like, I need to know what happens next. You kind of They kind of like forget about it for two episodes and then it just becomes relevant again. Oh, so-and-so broke up. Oh, that's right. They were engaged or whatever. And it, it doesn't, they don't seem to care about it. So I don't care about it. Mm, mm. And they don't seem to do much. They do, they do the same thing. It's like the kind of thing that you'd watch, um, you, you could shoot right now in ISO. If, oh, yeah. if it wasn't for the requirement of set changes. The, yeah. the thing that keeps you watching is the, the banter. Yeah, and it's 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 very clever dialogue that crafts characters in a way that, like, the, the what they've managed to do with just conversation, um, and how that gives you a a really solid picture of of every main character. I think that's really clever. Yeah. Um, and that's it's difficult to do. As you can tell that's, that's why Hulu really loves it. Fucking tried to do it because yeah. it must be cheap. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. they're like. You can do a thousand seasons of this, mate, if you want. They release two seasons a year, which, as far as I'm concerned, is unheard of. Yeah. Um, up to season eight. But they're only shorter ones. It's like a 20-minute yeah. 20, 20 comedy. Yeah. But they're basically the same locations. And, I'm, you know, the, the bottle episode, that, that concept of the bottle episode, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it's like they do the inverse. And they go, okay, let's have an episode where they go on a road trip to one or two new locations. And that's it. Because it must be... Outside of casting, it must be cheap as chips. Yeah, to make, <laughs> and and all old mate has to do because the main character is the writer and creator as well. Yeah, he just has the arduous task of having to come up with new things for these like mouthier, wordier than Tarantino characters to say. <laughs> yeah, and I just imagine I feel so sorry for the actors. I'm like, how do they? How do they learn? How do they all? do this? How do they maintain yeah. the energy? How many takes did they do to do this? Because <laughs> fuck. <laughs> but it's worth watching, and Nate's being a little hard on it, in my opinion. But I didn't say I hated it, Katie. No, I didn't say you. But hated like everyone it. who says, "My God, The Wire is genius," and fails to mention that season two is an utter bag of shit. <laughs> Except for a few parts. Because it, it really sells you in on that first season. You think this is incredible, an unstoppable force that I must get behind. And then you, you, you're then plonked into the docks in yeah, season like, two. And hey, you remember go, those oh, what characters you cared about and we've been following? They're now background. And you're yeah. like, what are you doing? 
Yeah. How did how were you allowed to do this? Because those characters come back later in a bigger way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spoilers. But yeah, imagine you're watching a show, you're invested in these characters, like the breadth of main characters. And the whole thing was like they were exploring the bad bad guys, quote unquote, as much as the good guys, quote unquote. And then they just, just went, nah, fuck it. We'll keep going with the cops, but fuck the crims. We'll move on to these other crims and then we'll somehow shoehorn that shit in mm-hmm. later to make it relevant. And you're like, why? You're onto such a good thing. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and season two was a slog. But then picked up after that. But nobody tells you that. And when someone says it's utter genius, watch it all, or like watch it now, you think that the whole thing, I don't see what's wrong with giving disclaimers to people. No. Like Battlestar Galactica was not the 70s one. I've never seen that. Um, the newer one, the early 2000s, mm-hmm. is on the whole a great show. Yep. But it fucking drags in the <laughs> middle. It has some of the best TV I've seen and some of the worst filler TV I've ever seen. And it's nowhere near long enough to justify there being filler episodes. You know, you'll accept the odd Seinfeld episode as not as funny or not as hilarious as the other ones. Or, you know, that one was actually kind of average. Yeah, yeah. Because you know the next one won't be because they don't do an entire season of trash, right? <laughs> There's still – you're still kind of laughing a little at least, right? Oh, or yeah. smiling or, you know, outright There's at least one twice. joke that you, like, relate to and can laugh at. Yeah, so yeah. you never have to stop and think, like, How I Met Your Mother or wherever the fuck Family Guy is now, American Dad Simpsons – and think, why am I watching this? Or how long do I keep going before I call it time of death? And yeah. just think, well, I'm not laughing at this comedy that I'm investing ultimately what 22 episodes of American comedy is around about. That's a lot of time to sink into something that you're not being like the, the main selling point of its category is comedy is not being given to you. Yeah. And if it's drama, it should be dramatic and, you know, and so on and so forth, action, whatever. But if it's just not delivering on that, there's a point where people tap out. And I mean, I I regret finishing How I Met Your Mother. I, I don't know why you bothered. I watched about four episodes and just went, this is shit. I think I tried it on two or three times before I got into it because the main character is reprehensible. Yeah, and that's I, what every episode I watched, I'm like, why does anyone give a fuck what happens to this guy? Just someone call me when he gets fired out of a cannon into a brick wall a short distance away and then I'll keep watching it. He like, is... The most, I mean, maybe this is just me or the real people that I interact with in daily life, but he is the most unrelatable character, not of all time. I won't go that far. Um, I have not seen The Room, but I've seen the movie about it. He seems like he crafts the most unrelatable characters of all time. Tommy Wiseau. (laughs) But but what's his name? Ted. Fucking Ted. Yeah. He, his whole motivation that he says out loud, basically, in episode one and then repeats, God knows how many times was, I need to be married by thirty or I'm a fucking failure. Yeah, and you're like, what? And that Based metric on... is never, like, it's never looked at in depth, right? Like, why reaching the age of thirty without being married? What is a deeply worse. weird person <laughs> who, who didn't seem to be presented as a widow. Like, the, the, no, he was presented as like the fairy tale prince most of like the time. Like he was a good guy. Yeah, and yeah. When's he gonna meet his lady right type thing? Was, you know, if incels were around at the time, he definitely would have been called one. Milady. Lady of my dreams. But did you see Five Hundred Days of Summer? Uh, no. It's a, it's a it's a really good movie. But the thing that a lot of well maybe not a lot of people the thing that people miss about it who defend the main character 
is that he's a piece of shit. Yeah. Like he's actually, he shouldn't get the girl because he's a weirdo and he's a creep and he's obsessive and then he punishes and he withdraws and all this sorts of stuff. Um, and the, the Zoe douche face is <laughs> consistently inconsistent in that she says, I don't want anything serious. She straight up tells him what she wants from the start and he's reading into everything. And anyways, people try to, whenever it gets popular again, people watching it, sharing it, people will get into onto Twitter and go, oh my God, you know, yeah, what a bitch. Why didn't she end up with him? And old mate, oh my, it's not Tommy Lee Jones. What's his name? The main guy. Um... He's got one of those three banger names. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah. I've never seen it, but I With somehow... the three banger. Yeah. <laughs> but he will get on Twitter and, and reply to these people and go, you've missed the point. He's not a good guy. He's not a hard done by how dare that temptress, you know, mislead him. His arc is kind of learning that he was not good. Yeah, well... And Ted never gets that. No. Ted gets exactly... Well, you already know what he's going to get. He's going to get the woman of his dreams and then... I won't tell you how it ends. Well, not because you're watching it, because if anyone ever wants to suffer through that trash fest, um, you should be as disappointed as I was with the ending and then go to YouTube and find the original ending and be doubly disappointed because it's actually good and not ballsy. It just makes more sense. It respects the plight of the show way more than the actual ending. Well, see, I do kind of want to see the incel version of 500 Days of Summer and of How I Met Your Mother because they would be extremely short works of you know fictional reality where it would be like hey beautiful lady would love to stroke your hair and sing you songs via ukulele and i know how to treat a woman very well and i will be the man of your to, to fulfill your all your destinies of a wonderful relationship and the person would be like hey thanks for the message but i'm kind of just looking to to date some people right now and make some new friends and it'd just be, okay, slut. I thought you were ugly anyway. <laughs> How I met your slut mother, right? <laughs> How I never banged yeah. your slut mother. <laughs> Somehow didn't make it beyond pilot because the slut at the network. <laughs> oh dear. So yeah, um, but I look would watch. Yeah, duh. Good, good parody. I, I'd actually watch 20 seasons of like 40 second episodes. Of that. Well, they could put it on Queeby or Queef, Queef, Queef Radio or whatever it is. Que- Queen Latifah B. <laughs> Queenland. Yeah, Queeby. Available in Australia. Very bizarre prospect. Yeah. Weird that it's come out now of all times. The whole thing seems to be, well, is, seems to be, is under 10 minute episodes. Which is pretty cool, consumable, you know, the idea of like go take a 10-minute shit, watch an episode of TV, boom. Nobody's going to think like 10 minutes is okay. When you get past 10 minutes, people get worried, right? I don't know. I don't know the number. Write it and then tell us. But it's, it's a pretty <laughs> novel concept of telling a contained story that also has well, the show that we're watching, uh, what was it, Flipped? Yes, with Caitlin Olsen and... The Last Man on Earth. Last Man on Earth, man. MacGruber. Yeah, you're a really good with your names tonight. It's because of TV. We Will, Will Forte. Yes, Will's Forte. And he's good too. Yeah. I, I think he's usually funny, just not in The Last Man on Earth, which again was a reprehensible character. Yeah. I, once, like, it jumped the shark when he had a swimming pool to shit in 
And that was the funniest part of his life. I think, like, I remember having the conversation with you at the time. Because, and, and speaking of things that haven't aged well, you'll realise by the end of this story. But I was being modern-day philosopher Nathan that I am, and I said, Katie, Katie, why is it that, I mean, we finished a season of it, why is it that we got to the end of this season of The Last Man on Earth and we have no interest in watching it again, we're not enjoying it, we don't like this main character because he's a piece of shit reprehensible, and yet we're all about that House of Cards life. Mm-hmm. And Katie said uh, the difference is charisma. Yeah. And I mind blown absolutely agree like you can be a piece of shit character like uh the character not the actor uh kevin spacey of course we're talking about frank underwood mm-hmm. kevin spacey i'm pretty sure is fine right awkward um anyways yeah but he played a piece of shit who was charismatic so i was very aware that i wanted him to win even though i knew he was bad like there was no there was no mystery about he's a fucking bad guy right well, there's that and, like, you um, – it's still possible to sympathise with someone bad um, because we all have, I, I guess, that capacity to, you know, want something so badly or need something to go a certain way so badly that um, if the power and the opportunity was there uh, to at least fantasise about – what that would look like. Yeah. Um, and I'd like to believe that most of us wouldn't, um, like, kill someone if actually faced in the moment of doing that and things like that. And that's what separates, I think, a good person from a bad person. So People who don't kill people. No, no, no like, in the moment, <laughs> if they have the opportunity to do something, like, really reprehensible, like, not... Because, like, if you get presented with, with those opportunities to, like, do something really awful, like, if you see an old lady drop two grand in the street, like, you are faced with the... Banging. <laughs> She's probably a drug dealer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She'll come and kill you if you take it the test. <laughs> but, like, you know, like, it's a test that a lot of people would, you know, you'd feel terrible about it if you just took it. I mean, but if you're really hard on your luck, like, that might be an opportunity that you seize at the expense yeah. of somebody else. Personally, I'd like to think that I would never do that, but... You know, um, faced with insurmountable pressure and the need of money, who knows? You yeah. know, and it's just that sort of taken to an extreme level. And I guess with Frank Underwood, the character, it's like he's so entertaining when he's doing these things that, like, you, you kind of want to be that smooth and that powerful and that persuasive because it's a triple threat that. Is usually <laughs> the uh, the mark of a very successful sociopath, which he may well be in real life, also. I think, but he was found out. So, lol. There's two reasons why it works for me: a charisma, and b because they have that cool little, you know, you shouldn't do this in writing, waggle finger thing of him talking directly to us. So he brings yeah. us into the lie, and he's like, "Because you're watching, you're part of this as well." So he's he's including us in the sin, mm. which is very clever. But I think one of those classes that we did when we didn't know each other at the same time. What? Mm, that was really it was a TV writing course thing, right? Mm-hmm. And I think maybe it was there or somewhere else, but they talked about the idea of you can have bad characters as a lead, but they have to have one of five things. One of them was funny and or charismatic, or they have to have something that's human and relatable, like maybe they've got a sick grandmother and that's why they're doing it, or Walter White, who's dying of cancer, 
so he can be a piece of shit, but you kind of, your audience wants to, you to give them the bare essentials so that they, you're giving them permission to say, we know this person's bad, but we want you to kind of root for them anyway. Yeah. And it wasn't just Will Forte. We, we came across it in Orange is the New Black as well. Oh, yeah. Piper was just not just a piece of shit, uh, the character. I don't know the actor, so yeah. <laughs> Taylor Schilling, I think her name is. Yeah, but the she was really unlikable. She was whingy. She was super privileged. She didn't seem to learn her lessons from anyone. She wanted to step on everyone. She wanted to maintain a quality of life in prison. She wasn't learning her lessons, and everyone around her was infinitely more interesting and sympathetic, even the ones that did terrible, objectively terrible things. Well, yeah, and... Um like I think the showrunners probably realized that a little bit too late, um, because the the whole pri- like white girl privilege thing was a really interesting narrative in that first season because it's like okay, you've got the fish out of water, great for TV situation of middle to upper class white girl having done a bad thing yeah. that a black person having done the same thing would probably go away for triple or four times the amount of time that she got, you know, considering she was helping out a fucking drug cartel, but, you know, lol. Yeah. That doesn't matter. Two years for you. Um, (laughs) Or whatever it was, two, three years. Um, You know, and her failings of like, like, you've got a woman there who hasn't seen her son in seven years or something and Piper's most pressing concern in that moment was that there would be three or four versions of the iPhone before she got out. Um, and like, it was moments like that that showed you that she's just a, like, that she's a total dick that needs to have a comeuppance and what more severe way to have that happen is in a prison. She um, was the right gateway to that world. Yeah. But it, but it never, she never really evolved much. Like there were lessons learned and then, she kept making selfish decisions yeah. and she, she like, you know, by about the end of season two, you start to really get fed up with it and think, I, I, I care about everybody else but her. Yeah. Like you actually want her to get more time. You want her to get punched in the head by the Hispanic girl that, you know, is hard on her luck. Like, yeah, and, and <laughs> a know? really <laughs> terrible thing happens to her, I can't remember, much later in the seasons, but we're in ruin. But that was when I knew that I still wasn't over it because it was played for sympathy. Yeah. And it should have been a moment that I should have felt connected to her and sorry for her and I didn't. I was like, yeah, yeah you deserve that. Yeah. Like you were being an ass hat again. Mm. And whenever she gets a sniff of power, it goes to her head. Yeah. And whenever she loses it all, she just becomes that whiny ass eyed, you know, like Yeah. Why? And <laughs> like yeah. So which are you? Yeah. You know, are you a shark or are you a shit? Yeah, and, and I think that like those moments of power were played out for humour that didn't carry. Like it was like, you're not, it's not funny. You're just a dickhead. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, unfortunately I think they didn't quite strike the tone with her pretty much ever. Maybe they just liked her the least, like her character. I and they're like, we don't know what to do yeah. with her. We've got to keep her in it because she's the main character. Um, but let's just spend way more time with everyone else. When yeah. they moved away from her, it was, yeah, really interesting. And it developed those characters really well and they all just kind of had to interact with her all lead to Piper type thing. But, yeah, they, they could have almost gotten rid of her at some point. Like, she could have got out and the show still could have gone on and I don't think anyone would have been like, I wonder what, what Piper's doing right now. Because 
I mean, we didn't finish it. We've still got a season to go. No, but uh, I like I kind of know what happens. I don't want to put myself through it. Like I know. Oh, you read spoilers, didn't you? Sort of, yeah. Not all of them, but like it's the final season, so yeah. I managed to avoid them, but yeah. also it's one of those things where again you can tell you're kind of detached from a show when a season comes and you're like, oh, I've missed it. Oh, I could, you know, I can binge it at some point, and then you see it and you're like, yeah. I don't I'm not going to suggest it. I'm not really missing it or yeah. feeling it. Yeah. And that, I mean, there are so many characters that I feel I should say goodbye to in that show, but um, yeah, it's been a hard run. And yeah, it's, um, I don't want to, like, for me to talk about why I don't want to watch it will spoil it. So I'll, I'll avoid that. But um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I just want to kind of leave it be for the moment, I think, with that one. We'll get to it at some point. Yeah. Katie doesn't like finishing shows. Shut up. Uh, but that's why you've tuned into Here's My TV Show. Oh, uh, man. Yeah, sorry. That's okay. No, we're allowed to talk about what this is our show. We talk about whatever we want, what we've been watching. I did want to bring up um, Back to Movies for a breath. Yes. But the last time we did an episode, which was in February, mm-hmm. we uh, I had introduced a new segment that Katie was head over Heels in love, right? You didn't Do you know what it was called? Me. Remind me, please. New at the flicks. Huh? <laughs> Did it help that I put a bit of pizzazz on that? You people can't. We, we should get a camera in on this one day because I no, I just no dic- I gesticulate, <laughs> um, and I dance during the opening. Uh, in this, well, you can just have it on me, Katie. I'll be I'll be the talent. In this time of the Rona round boy, I really don't want to. Go on video calls more than I have to. You can wear a mask. Uh, But anyways, one of our listeners of the podcast, friend of the podcast, Alex Angove, uh, he he listened to our episode and he sent in some suggestions uh, for a new name because we did put it out there, right? Yeah. And you especially said uh, you didn't want that to continue anyways it's not that i don't want the segment to continue no no the name the name i'm talking about the name okay yeah digs at you uh (laughs) if it helps he says i have a worse title for hot off the flicks did i don't even know we called it that that's already better than (laughs) new at the flicks (laughs) maybe hot off the flicks was your tweak uh don't put that on me i said it's better it's not putting better things on you God, just I just I, can you just listen to Alex? Yes. Stop interrupting okay, Alex. Sorry. Are you ready? Uh, for, yes. Are you ready for the worst title? Yes. What's in a my cinema? That's amazing. Well, there you go. He said uh, it gave me joy. He said it also came up with. Are you ready for the next one? Nate's big list of new shit. <laughs> I feel like that one. He, you know, <laughs> he stopped caring a little bit. But uh, what's in a my cinema is amazing. Yeah, it is. It's heartbreaking as well. Why? Because the segment, what's in the cinema right now? Fucking nothing. nothing. Crickets. It's all direct to home, but they've. it's different for when the United States gets stuff versus us, and it's yeah. all a bit weird to keep track of. I think I actually went through and deleted all of my, because I actually used to track when movies were coming out in my calendar, and I deleted everything for April. Yeah. Because it just felt a bit heartbreaking to be honest to be like oh this is coming out i'm like but is it is it coming to us because some of the studios have thankfully uh started sending things straight to digital which is great 
and we watched one, which we'll talk about uh, in a sec. But not everyone has been doing that, which no. makes it harder. We got Birds of Prey early. Um, which was that was one cool. of the first ones. Yeah. I mean, we'd seen that at the cinema, but like it was only a handful of weeks versus I think they usually do like a three-month run before it goes to digital. And then if a month or two after that, it goes to home release in on disc in 4K or whatever, yeah. which I'm pretty sure it's already done now. Like they're fast-forwarding all of that stuff as well, which I can't imagine is a bad thing because getting it straight into the hand of consumers is good, right? And I, for one, even though I love movies, we've got a podcast about movies, I fucking hate cinemas. Yeah, no, they're a slog, um, especially screenings that we go to where yep. you've got the great unwashed all piling in and, you know, they're not paying for the film in a lot of cases. So if they're finding it a bit not to their liking for whatever reason, instead of just like leaving or, or sitting there in silence for that arduous two hour period. Yeah. Um, they go on their phone. Yeah. Or play fuck they start crushing that candy. Going, Oh, this candy's not gonna crush itself. Gotta get on my phone and start that in this moment of downtime. Unbelievable. And that yeah, it turns me into a Larry David type. But every moment. time we go to the movies, whether we're paying, whether we're going to screeners, advanced screenings or whatever, we there's always someone. If there's three people in the fucking cinema, some dipshit's phone goes off and or they fucking answer it. Oh, yeah, mate, I'm in the movies. I can't. Fuck off. Why aren't cinemas blocking cell phone signals, mobile phone signals? Yeah, I know. It's strange how the world went on ticking before the mobile phones and... Every, just because you can be contacted, it, you literally can't do much about anything. And if there's something so pressing that might happen in your life, a birth, a death, whatever, that's literally life-threatening, maybe don't go to the fucking cinemas, you know? Sit that one out at home yep. and go see it later after emergency time has passed. There is literally so few reasons to be answering your phone. It would be an emergency thing. But you get a missed call, you see the number, you call them back. We, we've never had it so good when it comes to knowing, oh, oh, I had a missed call and they didn't leave a message on the answering machine, you know? I wonder who it could... I'm just going to call everyone in the old phone book. No, we don't need to do that anymore. No. And disconnecting for 90 minutes to two hours to sit and watch something that you have paid and, you know, more importantly, the other people in the fucking cinema have paid to see. Yeah. Put your shit away. I hate cinemas and I'm hoping <laughs> that one of the silver linings. I, I took Nate to the cinema for his birthday, by the way. <laughs> yeah, but you did the right thing. You took us into like a gold class thing where there, was, there weren't that many people. Yeah. And that was very pleasant, but there were still douchebags in front of us fucking on their phones, weren't there? Yeah. Amazing. I know. And the tickets are like very expensive. Yeah. So it doesn't matter how much or and little <laughs> they pay. Yeah. They still were like, oh, I've got a phone. I should look at it. Oh, this got a bit boring. Like, save that for home. Yeah. Because it's ridiculous. I want cinemas to die. Well, Right? Come on, man. No, I do. They, they will still exist in some capacity. You know that someone will have one or two and then they will be good for premieres of something or you'll be like, yeah, I really want to go and see Jaws on the big screen or whatever. They'll have a place. But it's in terms of them holding power, it's kind of like EB Games, you know, as a gamer. I want EB Games to die because they drive up not just retail prices, they drive up digital prices because they're like, well, you can't list it for that on Steam. 
you got to list it for usually more, mm. because otherwise we won't uh, we won't stock it in our store. Fuck off. Yeah. Goodbye. Go die. You shouldn't exist anymore. Mm. And games are going gangbusters right now, as I imagine film is digital and and you know otherwise because digital entertainment is king right now. Yeah. Everyone's engaging with it. It's going to make record sales. And all these people like distributors and movie studios are st- going to start to go, oh, we thought we were going to lose all this money on that, but it went straight to DVD, which used to be this big bad thing, much like what TV used to be. You know? yeah, yeah. When it was like, oh, you're doing TV now? Oh, you've lost it. You used to be a movie star. Now yeah. movie stars are scrambling to be on TV quality, TV, of course. Well, I think people like Nicole Kidman kind of paved the way for that where – um, she wasn't exactly getting super, super major, major roles for a few years. Um, and then she was in like Big Little Lies and a couple of other things. And then, you know, Lion sort of around the same time, but was a pretty much like a minor role in that. Um, and, you know, then Big Little Lies came out and then there was a whole bunch of actors doing HBO stuff and things like that. Yeah. And then it was sort of became okay to... HBO did it. To do, yeah, to do TV again. And I think um, it goes back beyond that as well. And Showtime and, you know, the, the places with a lot of money, basically. I'm not sure who did The Shield, but The Shield had similar things. It was more like these actors were going home to watch TV as well and they're watching quality drama. Yeah. And they're in these movies that, you know, some of which are quality and others probably less so. And they're like... What's wrong with me going to TV? Like, why should going to TV for a season or an episode or however long or even an entire thing kill my career? Why should it be seen as a, oh, you've accepted that you're only TV worthy now? Like, why should this be dirty words? And that's what the whole HBO thing was about, right? Like home box office, the idea that they're bringing cinema quality storytelling into the home. Yeah, um, and their focus was on quality for quite a while, but... um they, and they always did things a little differently and threw a lot more money at stuff. Yeah, which is why um, it stands up. Yeah, like the, the Sopranos, for example, like they're all sort of seasoned film and theatre actors. They're not just sort of B-grade TV actors that they kind of threw together and made a pilot and it took off. Like it's not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's like a, you know, a, an, an approach sort of below what HBO seems to have done. Um, and then you have uh, Sarah Jessica Parker, who is apparently a nightmare, which is very sad. Um, because I, I did, I really liked her. In um you know, you accidentally just did a horse pun. Nightmare. <laughs> a nightmare. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, yeah, for Sex in the City, like she was a, a cinema, like a, a movie actress um, that they allegedly had to coax over um, to television. And Sex and the City was like, for a lot of people, that was how they knew her. Like it's, it was certainly no shame now that she was in that because I think that's what's kept her relevant. And there's been a couple like the, whatever, Divorce or something was the other thing that she was in for HBO. Yeah, that was a recent one, wasn't it? Yeah, with another 50, 50 name person. Whose name I just forgot. Thomas Hayden Church. Yes, like there, you, there you go. Is that it? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Man. Um, well done, by the way. Hey, we're a we're a duo. <laughs> yeah, and like Kim Cattrall, theater English theater actress. Like they chuck her in, and you know the other two that were both in Seinfeld at one point. Um, so, but um, yeah, so they had this this idea that 
that TV could be telling a much more, um, I guess, compelling narrative that moved between genres like it was, just like a, a film can. Like, you know, you've got your sort of madcap comedies that don't really dip into seriousness, but then, you know, you've got a lot of ones that do. Like they've got their, their moments of pathos and stuff like that. Um, and they were sort of the experts at rounding that out over a season, making you fall in love with characters, expecting high quality and sticking with something long term. Um, so, yeah, they've they've definitely got a lot. We've got them to thank for a lot of golden age television over the last decade or so. I mean, the point is these days... Going on nearly 20 years, to be honest. It's just utterly viable. Yeah. Like, nobody's seeing an actor, a big-name movie actor, in a show and going, you know? Not anymore, Tom no. Tom Hardy, why did you do that? Or, um, oh, I'm really blanking on names today. Who is... All right, all right, all right. Matthew McConaughey. Oh, my God. He yeah. does True Detective um, and just for a season or whatever and it's amazing. It's like amazing viewing. Yeah. I've never stuck with True Detective. Why would you? Season two was – I mean, I tapped out after the first episode. We should. Well, I think we both did, didn't we? We should try it again at some stage purely because it's done and we can like kind of like people in fucking cinemas watch it while we're looking at our phones and check in and out and do shit in the background. Like <laughs> I, I feel like – Season one was so good that I owe season two a second chance, if only to get to season three, yeah. which I'm infinitely more interested in. But then again, you know what? We don't even have to do two. But it's got it's got my boy Colin Farrell in it, so it's got a great cast. So I do want to see. I want to see if it gets better. But that first episode was like, what is this? And creatively, it's the same. Well, not the actors, obviously, but the people behind the scenes. Like this shouldn't be bad, mm-hmm. right? Right. No. No, um, yeah, it's <laughs> it, it's one of those things that, again, well, maybe that's the Achilles heel as well. Where um, was that? Was that HBO? It was, wasn't it? No, was it Showtime? Yeah, no, no, True Detective was H- uh, HBO. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the other thing is now that they such a high standard is is expected that um, you know, the dip that can occur from uh, one season to the next, if, especially if they're doing the thing where, um, you know, it's the same show but they're swapping out all the uh, like the characters and, and actors and everything, then um, that's a bit of a risk. That's a risk-taking move. And, um, you know, as we see with quite a lot of shows, there's no guarantee that a great first season will mean a great season two, three, four, five, ten, twenty. Like it's... Yeah. yeah. I mean, American Horror Story had that kind of unique angle of taking the majority of the main cast and then keeping them throughout future seasons but then completely recasting them as different characters. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I lasted three seasons of that. Right. Um, and season two was only okay and season three was a fucking slog. <laughs> I hear it gets better at some later point but, you know, when, when you hear season and you insert number there and I think that's why they very cleverly called it like, you know, American horror story asylum or something like that. They didn't want people to be calling it season one, two, whatever. Because I think if people weren't gelling with a certain season, the whole promise was, hey, hey, just tap out for this season and then come back when we do insert horror trope here with fucking Lady Gaga or whatever, you know. And and that's a cool idea. She, she was in it, wasn't she? She for was, it, yeah. Like she had an appearance of some kind? She was playing a major role. Oh, okay. What I understand. But season one was incredible except for the final episode, which was utterly unnecessary. And season two still had some good ideas, but 
was lacking in execution in season two was just just felt off for basically the whole season despite very talented very talented cast it was just like where's the fucking horror like i don't find this scary whereas seasons one and two had scares yeah see the i think i I only saw like weirdly like the whatever it was the second or third season the one in the asylum that was two that was two and i thought that was really good but i just for whatever reason didn't they brought in fucking aliens. That was yeah, where that season, and that's kind of like Fargo season two, right? Remember how they had aliens in that? Yeah. And they don't really address it. They don't really add anything. No, no. It's just sort of like, do, 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 do. don't mind us. And you shouldn't do that. Like, yeah. if it doesn't add, then get rid of it. Like, if you're doing a weird departure thing or making a big deal about something, and I mean, if you're doing a fucking, what is ostensibly is a horror story, which first season was supernatural, the second one is like a more of a psychological thriller because it's in an asylum, and then suddenly there's aliens, and then it all is a bit weird and doesn't really resolve. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't make people want to tune back in. No, not the at same all. Same breath, American Crime Story season one was incredible. Yeah, yeah, it was. And again, good. they won't want to call it season one because season two and three or whatever will be completely different things, but the O.J. Simpson one and Cuba Gooding Jr., was fantastic yeah, he was. as OJ. And the behind-the-scenes thing was he said, I always gave them at least two takes, and one was I did a take uh, as OJ believing like that he'd done it or like knowing that he'd done it, and one as OJ who was like, no, I haven't done it, I'm innocent. And right. he said, I just left it up to the director and the editors to to choose which parts of the performance they wanted to do, and you can tell there are times when you like question, like, did he? Maybe he did. No, he's definitely, he's fucking guilty. Look at him. He's fucking guilty of sin. And then you're like, oh, but did he? It was very, very good. And that show, yeah, was really well cast and written and highly recommended. Yeah. Even though most people, I'm sure, listening to this will know how that story plays out. Yeah. And uh, I look, I've probably mentioned it before on the podcast, but he's the most embarrassing autograph that I own. Oh, yes, please. Tell the story again in case. You haven't, or in case people have missed it. Okay, so um, I wanted to do some research for a screenplay um, on uh, psychopathic behaviour and stuff like that, um, you know, just like every other fucking screenwriter out there at some point. Um, but I, I got there was a, there's a book called um, If I Did It that O.J. Simpson wrote, and I bought a copy for $10 on, on eBay. Um, it was mint condition copy, you know, because, you know, who who really wants to crack that open except for me and that current situation? And it arrived. Ten dollars, it's a steal. Yeah, it was like, and it was like it delivered from the US. I think it for a grand total of about, you know, twelve ninety eight Australian dollars, including shipping. So it was. I, I paid you have like to get it. virtually nothing for the book itself. Um, and it arrived and I opened it and a, a blue slip of paper fell out and it was um, a typed note from O.J. Simpson's lawyers saying that this was part of a set of, I think, 200 or something that had been personally signed by O.J. to help fund his court costs. Well, you put $10 towards that. <laughs> Someone must have put a lot more. But um, I will say in his defence, he has... Beautiful handwriting. Oh, it is perfect. Did you? Why did, didn't you say it was the most disappointing? Well, it's it's embarrassing. I've got. Oh, the, embarrassing! Right. Yeah, like 
It's not disappointing. You didn't, you did, but it would be embarrassing if you actually wanted to go and buy that, I guess, maybe. Well. But maybe not because, you know, you like signatures. I don't, I don't know. What yeah, but I didn't buy it. I didn't, go, I didn't like, seek out, uh, like, juice memorabilia. You accidentally <laughs> got a golden ticket? No, it's sort not of. a golden ticket. Like a, a red bronze ticket. ticket. Um, yeah, it. He's got lovely handwriting, um, and if you look at that versus like other autographs I've got, like Seth Rogen, who basically just draws like a straight line with a loop at the end. Um, O.J. Simpson belongs to the uh, the old school of uh, autographs and handwriting. See, so I mean, takes him three days to sign his name. Yeah, no, he's he's like Danny DeVito is another one that we've got. Who's Will Arnett's like, shit, isn't it? Will Arnett's is dreadful. Yeah, um, Rosario Dawson's not much chop. So they all have fake signatures, obviously. Oh, yeah. Like, it wouldn't be the one they sign their checks with. But, no, um, but also, yeah. I guess, they're assuming quantity of signatures as well. So, they're like, yeah. oh, man, I think it's been writing off the server in two seconds. <laughs> yes, but Danny DeVito, the treasurer of Hollywood, takes his time with his, and you can tell. So, yeah. I've got Stan Lee's autograph, bless his soul. Nice. What's so. that on? Uh, a Wolverine comic. Very nice. Yeah. So, I got that shortly before he died. Um, Chris Cornell is another one that I managed to nab shortly before he passed away as well. So that was on a guitar thing, wasn't it? Yeah, it was on a, a guitar like scratch plate. So yeah, we'll get around to displaying that at some point in the next two decades. Hopefully, they're better than displates. Terrible magnets. Yeah, amazing art. Terrible magnets. Yeah, come on, displate. Lift your game, son. And our art. And our art from the floor back to the wall. Yeah, yeah. that would be good. So we did watch uh, one movie that is not ripe for dissection, uh-huh. and it was Underwater. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Starring, is it Kristen or Kirsten? Kristen. Or is it Kirsten? Or Kirsten? Ki- it, it's Kirsten Dunst, but Kristen Stewart. It's the, the I will always fuck those names up. So I think I may have done so, but I don't think so. I invited Kirsten Dunst to my 18th. Yes. I think I have mentioned that one before. Yeah, I did, yeah. She didn't reply when I was already 21 by the time she did. Yeah, she was only 21st or, or yeah. pre-invited to the, like, I don't know. Or pre-invited to my 50th yeah. and hope she comes, yeah. Yeah, okay. fine. She's probably doing TV these days anyway. She is. We watched it. What? That newsroom show. No, news. Morning show, the morning show. She wasn't in that. Oh, that was Reese Witherspoon. Whoops. Kind of the same. Oh, look, We're white blonde lady, white who blonde cares? Ladies, yeah. <laughs> I was doing a callback joke. No. But we watched Underwater, which is very much, you know, alien underwater. And yeah. it doesn't try to hide shy away from that, nor should it. It was pretty good. I was expecting a lot worse. It was yeah, it was good. It's definitely uh worth your time. Yeah. You don't really need to say anything more than that. It had some cool deaths. Some cool original deaths and uh it does what good horror films do when they're doing like the monster or the slasher type thing, which it very quickly gives you the reason why you can't step outside, which in Alien, you know, they can't do. Why don't you just leave? Fucking paranormal activity. Just fucking leave. Uh, <laughs> underwater, they can't. They're at the bottom of, what is it, that massive trench? Marinari, Mari, Mariana. Marinara? Death Star Trench. They're at the bottom of a big old trench. Mm-hmm. So they, well, anyways, they're underwater anyway, so they can't just step outside and, and go. So, you know, they have to deal with the threat yeah. that is there. And it sort of starts out of, off as like a little bit of a disaster movie, but very quickly introduces the monster threat, which they're not 
shying away from and any of the promotional materials and nor should they and I've already called it aliens so if you go in going this is an earthquake movie then no yeah but it's good it's not perfect it's not amazing but as far as kind of alien knockoffs go and not a lot of them have been great the only other one that I can think of in recent years that is quality is a movie called Life which I don't think you have seen starring Ryan Reynolds and a bunch of other people also set in space, but not deep space, more like space station space. Uh, and is, again, a worthy alien knockoff that is not amazing and not wholly original, but it does the job of giving you the similar, when it's hitting stride, feelings of like, ooh, this is this is tense and shit, that's, that's fucked up. And whoa, like they're, they're killing, they're okay with killing people, so nobody's safe type thing, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah, no, check it out. Yeah, and um, Case Jew, I think, is a little bit underrated. She got a bad rap as the the Twilight girl, I think, um, and she's got a, a bit more range than just sort of being sullen and monotone. So, um, yeah, I think she's worth seeing and stuff. I liked her in that, what was that Huntsman movie, Snow White and the Huntsman? Yeah. Yeah, that's the first time I watched a movie. Well, then again, I only watched like half an hour of Twilight because um, it's trash. But I don't think I'd seen her or anything else. And I went and saw this movie. And I'm like, you know, she was good. She was good. And, and it's not like I thought – I didn't watch the half hour of Twilight that I saw and thought that her and Robert Pattinson were like, they're trash. I'm like, they're very good at playing the trash oh, they, characters. They got, a, right? they got a bum deal out of all of that. But – it, it says it all when the author of the books and the books are dreadful. Like, I don't know who the editor was, but they're just, they're such a hard read. I've only read the first one because I made myself do it. Um, but she is actually, uh, she she has a cameo in the, in the first movie and they actually, like, she doesn't say anything. The waitress knows her name for some reason and goes, here's your veggie platter, Stephanie. And she just sort of accepts it. Like, so she's like so into it that she's in the movie. Like she's been put in the movie. It may have been cut in Ooh. subsequent releases, but it was definitely there at one point. I'm making a note right now to share on socials the Rastabor should be video. Uh, Do you remember that? No. I, sh- I showed it to you. Mate, I can't it's remember. Twilight every... this take. That's all you need to know. Okay. Um, and it's hilarious because, right. yeah, but like the, both of them have done well. Nobody wants to get Luke Skywalker. Poor, poor Mark Hamill. You know, there's a typecaster that you never really can star in anything again. That's unless it's very similar to what you've mm-hmm. done because people can't unsee you as the thing they saw you. And you see typecast actors all the time, but I think they've both done well to kind of depart as far away as possible, even though they probably don't have to work another day because of the paydays. And that was in the days when. Remember when every, well, not every motherfucker, I'm being dramatic, but people were splitting final chapter movies into two. Harry Potter's Deathly Hallows Part 1 and 2 and whatever the Twilight one was had two parts, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and and uh, Hunger Games did as well. Hunger Games as well, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Hobbit went from, should have been one to two to three. The smallest book got 12 hours or nine hours of, uh, of screen time. The third one crash and the second one was not great i like the first one for the most part um but and that's mainly just because you know 
revisiting Middle Earth is like awesome for me because Lord of the Rings is amazing, isn't it, Katie? Shut up. Katie hasn't seen it. I saw the middle one and... Stop talking. You're only going to make it worse. All right. So shall we do what we all came here to do? We Shall we? I've realised that we keep people on their toes. So when we get to the end, we're not going to be like, we're going to do this next week. I'm going to say, hey, hit us up with your suggestions. We might do them. We might not. And if we do, we'll let we'll give you old kudos. I've got a list of 100 plus movies that we have to do. Yeah, totally. So uh, we tend to just go with if either we've watched it and go, hey, this would be a great episode or like, what are we feeling like? Yeah. It seems to be because we've had the happening on this list for the longest time. Katie keeps trying to, well, used to keep trying to push Midsummer. Um, and I want to slam that movie, but <laughs> I don't want to imagine a better version. So <laughs> I'm going to keep putting that off for as long as possible until Katie plays a veto card, in which case we'll do it. But it is definitely ripe for deconstruction, especially because people love it. I know, I know. One of those Kool-Aid movies, you know, where you feel like the weirdo? You're like, a, is there something wrong with yeah, us? Yeah, no, it's the, it's the Emperor's New Clothes. No, but every, is it, everyone... or are we the people who are in the wrong? It's like so many people are raving about this movie. Did we miss? No. Look, like Babadook. Fucking Babadook. Did we miss the point of what this apparently amazing? We didn't film miss the point. About? We didn't like the point. That's the point. Yeah, and horror is like comedy, right? Yeah, I'm sure. I've said it before. I'll say it very briefly again for those who are tuning in for the first time. Comedy is successful if it makes you laugh. It doesn't matter if it's fart jokes or highbrow. If you laugh at it, you will consider that to be a successful comedy, whether you're embarrassed about it or not. Doesn't matter. Same thing with horror. If you are scared, if you can't sit still and you know the sound of a phone vibrating makes you jump that movie has succeeded in its genre midsummer did not for me and i'm glad that it was a shared experience because i probably would have seen it and gone i feel like i'm putting a burden on you but can you go watch this to let me know if i'm crazy because i think it's utter trash (laughs) and people whose opinions i respect are fucking raving about this movie and there's a director's cut yeah, well, look, let's just hold that thought because it needs to be an episode. It doesn't need to be this episode, however. It's not going to be this fucking episode. So let's just hear from our sponsors and let's get back to the movie of the episode. Here's my movie. would like to tell you all about Listerine's exciting move into the ocular moisture space. Listerine eye drops provide a cool burn that's guaranteed to get you moving through your day. Out of the way, world. I'm blinded by minty fresh success. Right, thank you. Now, this episode we're going to talk about Ron Howard's 1991 blockbuster, The Backdraft. Was it a blockbuster? I think so, yeah. What makes a blockbuster a blockbuster? It busts blocks, mate. It's in the name. It does, because they burn buildings down. So it's literally (laughs) one of very few actual blockbusters. (laughs) Right? It wasn't Jaws was the first blockbuster, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. That's just off the top of my head. Um, and yeah. No, I think what it implies is that it's like, you know, a movie everybody goes to see that perhaps breaks records or at least gets people talking for a whole summer and blah, blah, blah. It did get a sequel last year. It did, yeah. <laughs> you know, everyone was like, yeah, but what about Backdraft 2? Said nobody ever, I imagine, <laughs> except for some board executive <laughs> who's like, fuck, what have we got a license for that we can shill out a sequel? Yeah. We haven't seen that. I'm sure it's amazing. Yeah. No, look, and uh, this was, it was fun. It was fun to watch this with you. I, I, You've I had, seen it before, haven't I've you? I've seen it before, but not for a long time. And I've never seen it. Yeah. And I 
know why I've never seen it because we've had the roundabout the household thing, which I won't go into, family household, very restrictive uh, movie viewing. And I knew that I hadn't seen it because it had a sex scene. I'm like, there's no reason why we wouldn't have watched this except if it had a sex scene. And boy, does it have a sex scene. The sexiest of sex scenes. In fact, if you wanted to pit it against another sexy sex scene, I'd say you'd put it up against Top Gun's shot in post sex scene with the actors wearing fucking wigs and they shoot it under a blue light so that you don't notice it as much. And it is like, I would, I challenge you listeners to masturbate successfully over that sex scene. You can't, it's not hot. (laughs) And we should definitely watch Top Gun at some point. Although I don't know if I'd want to do an episode on it because it is amazing for so many terrible but amazing reasons like it's yeah. it's an awesome movie in so many respects and then there's moments like that which is just like why is that in there yeah i don't know look i think that it's good to revisit those movies that people remember fondly and just sort of give them a bit of a modern times dissection um, because it doesn't mean you don't enjoy them i still enjoy backdraft i just think that there are gaping things with it that really should have been addressed probably um but you know, in the nature of cinema, these things cinema <laughs> these things can uh, not necessarily be picked up during the process because it's really fucking hard to make stuff. So, um, but it doesn't mean that we can't laugh about it now. So, as the person who was watching it for the first time, what did you think? It's a very average movie. Yeah. Um, and and if you go to IMDb and see that it's on like I don't know. Six, maybe even lower. No, I think it's about 6.3 and that was of about two weeks ago. It absolutely deserves that yeah. sort of rating. <laughs> um, it's my boy, my boy Hans Zimmer did the music. Yeah. Not at all a memorable soundtrack. Uh, <laughs> that's not a diss by any means because I, I understand that it was one of his first. So it's way, way more sort of toe the line, play it safe, Hollywood soundtrack. Um, then he is renowned and loved for. Yeah. So it's very forgettable soundtrack because it's just that kind of background noise. It does what it has to do. It lets you know when something's potentially scary or funny or fun or whatever. Like so, it, it hits all the. I don't think he had hits. a great deal to work with. No, but like Kurt Russell. I mean, mm. I've watched that man in anything. He's he's amazing. Even in terrible movies, he tends to be amazing. I'm thinking specifically of Death Proof. Did you see that? No. It's like Tarantino. Oh, the one where he's in the car. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. That movie is fucking shit. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. he's awesome in it. He's great. He, he's a great actor. Yeah. He, he's good in lots of things. And the, he's so good that they cast him twice in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> which was the most fucking confusing thing initially. Yeah, because he plays his own dad. But with a mustache. Well, so Hello, my name is... Mr. Dad. <laughs> like yeah. It's like some Clark Kent shit. Yeah, like no, I'm comb. Superman. Who is that? <laughs> what? You're completely different. <laughs> yeah. No, it, look, it's, um, I, I enjoy Kurt Russell's movies quite a lot. Um, Overboard is one that I remember fondly. Have you ever seen that? Never seen it. With, they did uh, remake that recently. With, with Goldie Horn. No, nothing beats the original. I don't care what they say. I haven't seen the I haven't seen the new one and I I won't. I think that was the general consensus with yeah. the remake though. <laughs> yeah. It's like I shan't and you can't make me. Well, but we'll have to watch Overboard at some point. Yeah. I'm making a note. Oh yeah. The 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 main order of the day is to get you to watch League of Their Own actually. Yeah, but we're not allowed to watch that. 
No, we're not. Just friend of the podcast who we'll probably spruik again at the end. Ray Bannerman of Movie Weekly has the only cinema in Australia that I hope survives and it will because it's in his home and <laughs> you know he's not relying on people paying him money uh, for popcorn at $40 a piece to survive. Uh, he has legitimately the best cinema in Australia as far as I'm concerned. I also agree. So watching a movie there is like you don't – you go home to our – admittedly, I love our 4G – 4K. Uh-huh. 4G. It's 4G. It's fast. Fucking, 4G. fucking out of date. Yeah, already. Oh, no. Also, I don't want coronavirus, so we're not going to get oh, a yeah, 5G one. Fucking 5G. <laughs> um, <laughs> the four, 4K OLED TV is amazing. Like, things look great on it, and then you go watch a movie at his place, and you're like, yeah, I guess they don't look that great. Thanks for ruining that for me forever. But he has insisted, and then he even went and checked his insanely massive collection of movies and went oh shit I actually don't have it on Blu-ray so he went and bought it and he's like you can't watch it during ISO you gotta wait you gotta wait until we I'm like okay 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 am I waiting and it's been on my to watch list for years and even prior to you because I saw the cast and I'm like that that looks cool that looks like a fun movie I just never got around to watching it so it's not like one of those movies where I'm like yeah I'm not watching it you can't make me and then you make me it's one of those like yeah I've always meant to so let's do it but now you can't Straight away. But I don't think that's going to be an episode. Like, I just, I don't feel I'm going to watch it and go, that's trash. Let's rip it apart. No, no. That's fair enough. Um, no, it, w- it won't be an episode. I will refuse to participate in an episode. Yeah, and that's the thing. So. That's just, uh, people who don't know. Like, we don't just arbitrarily do things. Um, I'd love to do a Blade Runner episode, but I don't think Katie wants to do a Blade Runner episode. I will do a Blade Runner no, episode. No, but you have to have things that you want to change about it. Maybe I do. Which, Maybe I which don't. Which is okay, but... Got a problem... Oh God, my point, my point is that if Katie was like, let's do Fight Club, I'd like, let's not, because I don't want to change anything about that movie. I fucking love it. And whether that's a blind spot thing or I adore it, it's not a blind spot thing, it's amazing. But the point being, we're never going to, I don't think we're ever going to do a movie where one of us utterly loves it and the other person is like, I'm going to rip shreds off it. What well, do you have to say? Well, it's, that's like us with Midsummer, though. I mean, you loved it and I didn't. So, uh, <laughs> fuck Midsummer. Oh my God. Just, <laughs> just don't go see it if you haven't. Or, you know what? Do see it and then just send me a message or an email. Hit us up on any number of things that we'll tell you about at the end of the, the episode. And just tell me, like, you're like, fuck you, Nathan. Fuck you for making it sound enticing because you told me not to watch it. I'm like, you're not my dad. I'm going to watch it. Oh, it's so bad. And if you love it, I guess tell me about it as well. Um, comment it out on the show and dissect it but what i will tell you about backdraft that has held up incredibly well is the special effects yes second to none those um those sequences in terms of the, the special fire. effects for building explosions fires cars exploding it all holds up yeah there, there isn't a thing wrong with the special Practical effects Practical effects for pretty much all of it. Everything. You know, and they use some trick photography and things. And I think like fire doesn't climb on ceilings. I think it was, it, may, it was so good that it made me want to go and read up on trivia yeah. on it. And so to do that, they did similar to what they did in Independence Day where they couldn't get fire to go straight down the street. So they shot it a camera at the top of a vertical wall with buildings on it. So that the fire would come up at them, which is very cool. And that's why the special effects in Independence Day for the most part were fire looks amazing because they literally shot fire. And then they're like, oh, we'll do a little bit of tweaking here and there. But this, I was 
I mean, I was expecting there to be trashy, terrible, hasn't aged well special effects, and it was the best part of the movie. Yeah, was these set pieces. It's not an action movie. No, but when they get into a fire, like you're there. It doesn't matter if there's hokey dialogue or weird shit happening with whatever editing or the fact that they cast that weird Baldwin guy in the lead. Um, William. William, not Alec, as I like to call the Baldwin brothers. Alec, not Alec, not Alec, not Alec. <laughs> uh, yeah, it didn't matter what was happening. You were just, I was just glued to it because it was mesmerizing, not because I'm a pyro. Not. Uh, it was just because it looked like, I was like, how the fuck did that actually, like that's Kurt Russell. That's not a that's not an actor, and they haven't digitally replaced his face like they do nowadays. Like they've gotten them fucking close to fire, or they've shot it in such yeah. a way to make it look like they're actually right there. I'm like, yep. that's cool. Oh, that's totally. So cool. I mean, it's hot. <laughs> it's hot. Let's uh, let's pause to do our spoiler warning, and then we can move into the nitty. Oh, let's do it. Und gritty. Warning. Warning. This podcast contains spoilers. Press pause and go watch the film before proceeding, if you care. All right. So now that, I mean, special effects aren't a spoiler. Um, so we're, We hope not. Yeah, so enjoy those special effects. What did you think? You were return viewing. Return so, viewing. So like compared to your first time of viewing, before we get into spoilers, sorry, you've seen it a first time so you had an idea of what it was like or maybe you loved it, hated it, okayed it, nothinged it. And then you're coming back to watch it a second time. What were you thinking going in? Like, was it like I'm watching a good movie from my childhood again, um, versus what it was actually like? No, I I loved it as a kid, um, but I didn't see it in 1991. Like, I was too young for that sort of stuff, and I wouldn't have understood it anyway. But like, um, I think I saw it when I was about nine or ten, and I thought it was awesome. I'm like, yeah, this is awesome, yay, woo, fires, and um, it was. Like it, it was not something that I think about all the time and think, oh yeah, Backdraft was this masterpiece. I really should watch that again. Like my memory of it is that I liked it and I thought it was cool at the time. Um, but recently, like I'd read some things and people had referenced it and you know put that in. <coughs> pardon me, in um, uh, Ron Howard's like top films that he's ever made and stuff like that. And I thought, oh, well, he's made quite a few. I don't know that I'd put that among the you know in the top five, but. Um, it was referenced in Bob's Burgers recently. I mean, we watched that episode after. Yeah, we watched Backdraft, so it was a nice little. Ah, we just watched that the other day, but yeah, it's just like, oh, it's just like Backdraft. Yeah. like, ma'am, that's a very serious risk to firefighters. Oh, geez. But as far as like, uh, go-to references to firefighter movies. Yeah, like, I can't think of anything else. Like, and and I knew that if someone said, "Give me a firefighter movie." I'd say backdraft even before I'd seen it. Yeah. Because I knew what it was about. It's look, it's iconic. Um, and I remember really liking it, but like at no point in my life have I made that a reference point for how I think cinema should be or anything like that. So, yeah. But yeah. um revisiting it is like it was a very pleasant surprise to see how well the special effects hold up. So Practical effects will like because there's been there's been times when we've been watching stuff and it's clearly CG and we'll go oh that's not going to date well because we know at the time that it's not going to um, and then you don't like when when practical effects are done well um, you know it's it's hard for them to date 
when clearly they've spent so much money on making them perfect. Yeah. Um, That's why Christopher Nolan movies will hold up. It's why Mad Max Fury Road will be as watchable tomorrow as it is. It's why The Wizard of Oz, you know, made almost 100 years ago and will stand up. Yeah, because practical and the the best arguments for practical are like older movies like this or or recent movies where you're like, that's not going to age because they've shot as much as possible in camera. Yeah. Whereas you watch something like not long before, actually on my birthday I watched uh, Pitch Black with a friend of the podcast, Job. Uh, Who? And the special effects in that movie probably didn't hold up at the time that it was shot. Like it's a cool movie that deserves its cult status, but the special effects were at a sort of sci-fi channel level in many respects that let it down. And what it does is like when I talked before about backdraft, I was being immersed in those scenes where there was fire, like it was gripping, it was intense because it was shot so well, it was so believable. I wasn't like, oh, here comes the cheesy CG. There's no disconnect. Like I am engaged because I'm not going, oh, I need to forgive this movie for its dated visuals. Like there's no disclaimer. Yeah. Those sequences are the best sequences in the movie mm. because they have clearly cared so much about them, yeah. and how they're shot, that they hold up and it's the kind of movie that honestly, you know, I would see on a big screen. Yeah. At Ray's house. Not <laughs> um, the big screen because I don't like cinemas, as was established earlier. Yeah, and that was a real kick in the box office for us all. Hey! Oh! You're fired. <laughs> um, yeah, but... So for me, that was that was a, a big thing that the special effects held up. Um, I still enjoyed watching it with you. I think it's a, a fun ride with someone else. I probably don't want to do it again too soon. Um, I don't think I ever need to see it again. No, but the um, the thing that really stuck out for me is that it is a movie with, like you said before, which which stood out to me as you said it's not an action film, but well, that's one that's one of the first genres that I would have put it in. Action. Yes. Okay. But. You know, it's it's down as a crime thriller, comma, drama. Now... Yep, it's definitely lacking in those aspects. There's a lot of very on-the-nose, hammy, dramatic dialogue, for sure. But a drama does that, you know... <laughs> a drama needs to do a little bit more than that, I think. And, um, you know, there's dramatic tension. The plot is dramatic. The plot is dramatic. The storytelling... Less so. Yeah, like obviously things being on fire is dramatic. Yeah, and, a, a and danger your life is posed. Being in threat. Yes, it's threatening. It's dramatic. Yes, but it's not like the. I, I guess the the acting in for most people is not good enough <laughs> for that to sustain in that situation. Um, no. And that's a that's a shame. Like across the board for you or certain. Oh no, uh, Donald Sutherland is. Wholly and completely wasted in that film. Like he's a very, very good actor, and he's probably one of the best written characters. And they give him nothing. Yeah, you, you, I got the impression watching him that they're like, "This is going to be your Hannibal Lecter." Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's just not in it enough. Even De Niro's not in it enough. And De Niro, I usually think is not as amazing as everyone else thinks. Not that he's terrible. I just don't get the hype. But in this, I thought he was good. Like, I thought he played the role uh, well and different to his usual, like, I'm the tough guy in charge kind of his shtick. Like oh, yeah. 
I think he kind of acted outside of that, and I, I really liked it. I, I enjoyed that, like, he, he was burnt, right? Yeah. And it was kind of this idea of, like, the father has died in the opening sequence, which is so predictable. But it's, it's fine for a storytelling <laughs> setup. But, like, the father could have very easily have been the De Niro character who survived but has scars and is still around so that was like a cool thing that they didn't really dig too much into. no no it, it was represented in a few scenes that never really came together they kind how, of put it there and, it. and they didn't maybe they didn't realize that they probably should have gone down that route that you know old mates looking for a replacement father figure or yeah maybe and they tried as best they could to do it and it just didn't stick the landing yeah and the um the thing is is like you know that opening sequence with like well not opening it's part of the opening sequence but like after the dad doesn't come out alive from the fire and then, you know, you get kaboom and then for some reason they've just let this kid kind of walk around in a very terrible, dangerous situation for everybody. His own dad doesn't make it out alive but this kid's just allowed to sort of scream around in rubble and then there's the spinning fire chief hat of his father's that he that he picks up and then that's the photo on the cover of Time magazine yeah. and it's like, oh, come on. It's, v- it's very overwritten. Like, oh. it, again, as plot, it's like, you know, son sees dad die effectively oh, yeah. at yeah. work and because of that, what happens later is, you know, he's obviously motivated to be a firefighter but he's dropped out and stuff, which is interesting backstory and his brother has gone the firefighter path but he's gone the I'm going to be better than my dad I'm going to beat fire type thing which is cool like that's why you can tell that's why Kurt Russell has done it because his character I would say is the most interesting totally totally um it's just amazing to me that they've sort of got all these high profile actors and it's still quite um I guess it still doesn't come together quite how you might expect from the cast um I think that's because of the lead actor (laughs) <laughs> he's very attractive. He fucking is, isn't he? Yeah. Those Baldwin boys. Whew. Oh, well, him and Alec. Yeah. I don't know about the others. but well, Stephen was okay. But, but like, William looks the most like Alec, and Alec is just dead set. You know, if he tapped me on the shoulder, I'd have no choice but to say, yep, all right, cool. <laughs> no, but he's, look, yeah, unfortunately he is uh, all good looks and... The acting skill kind of went to Alec only, I think, in a lot of cases. And the skill is he's... I'm sure he's more than a double threat. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, But the thing that really ground my gears was that it was billed as a crime thriller before anything else. Are you saying it's not? (laughs) Are you saying that becomes really background noise and it's really jarring when they shift to it and you're like, what the fuck is... Oh, that's right. (laughs) some weird criminal conspiracy shit that's happening. Yeah, so someone is creating backdrafts to... The name of the movie? (laughs) Whoa! It's like, did you see the death blow? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, we're missing the death blow! Um. (laughs) Name me a sex tape. Yeah, so... For me, it's like, okay, so that you've got the threat there. And the, the threat, physically, the threat is the fire, obviously, and the fact that it is a serious, dreadful thing that firefighters have to face and many are maimed or perish just in general of things like that, but someone's deliberately setting these up so that they're harming people. 
um, they're, they're harming an individual and then the first responders. Yeah. That, you know, so, like, wh- whoever's doing that is a terrible person and the fact that they're a serial killer slash arsonist is a huge problem. It's not really made out to be one. It's sort of like, oh, fuck, dad's dead and I've still got to fight all these fires. Doesn't matter if they're difficult fires. Gonna fucking put me hat on and go. Like, you know, like, like you know. That's exactly what William Baldwin sounds like. <laughs> Uncanny. <laughs> You're a better execution of that. Fuck I- you, dad brother. I'm going to fight the fire. <laughs> You're not my dad. You're my bro. Wait, you look like my dad. You grow a mustache. Ooh. It's so confusing. <laughs> if they had Movember back then, he wouldn't know what the fuck to do. <laughs> better execution of the idea that they're going for is speed. Uh, it doesn't have fire, but it has bombs. It has cops whose job is to defuse bombs, right? Yeah. And so putting them on the, you know, in the threat with the, them being involved in the trying to crack the riddle of what's going on works. Yeah. But speed is an action movie. And I would say that backdraft is not. No, and it's not, and it's not an, well, I think that it has the elements of it there um, and more than it does a drama or a crime thriller. But it, it, I guess it's got elements of several, but what is it? What what genre is it's it? It's a drama, but it's not a good drama. It's, you okay. know, when people put the drama label on something because they're like, I don't know, it's not funny, <laughs> so it must be drama, right? They don't know what to fucking do with it. That's why like you've accurately identified when they've got fucking crime thriller there, that's a subplot. It's a, but it's a very they try poor, to make it the main plot at points. But it, it is a poorly executed subplot. So you've got it's a good idea. It's a great idea. So like you know Donald Sutherland, like you said, here is your Hannibal Lecter moment, and that is what it's set up to be. But like, if you want to look at the perfect crime thriller, then that's Silence of the Lambs. Yes, that no, is an action movie, right? Don't please don't do comedy. This. No, I'm gonna, I will burn this dramedy? house to the ground. Dude. <laughs> Um, that and it's not to say that everything has to follow the formula of oh there's a deer in the headlights lady joining the FBI and then there's a mad serial killer that's going to tell her bad things like it doesn't have to and then she'll catch the other baddie and then the baddie's a goodie and then a baddie and oh cannibal like it doesn't make it it intrinsically linked right yeah 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 but it's like that is a crime thriller there there is the tension there um, which which needs careful and seasoned actors or at least those who can keep tension in those moments. Um, and the the story kind of needs to be focused on it for more than a subplot. Like you can't, ha- you can't build something a crime thriller before anything else and have that be the subplot that is so forgettable that, like you said, when it's brought back, it's jarring. So, y- yeah, you've, you've got Donald, Donald Sutherland who's clearly been told, okay, this is your chance to be, like, really remembered. You've got the lines. You've got the best lines, Donald. Yeah. I've got the words. All, all, the, all the lines. <laughs> Nobody knows more about the, uh, the arsonists than I do. <laughs> I've actually studied this a lot. My hair's red. Straight up fire. <laughs> We've we've got the firefighters. They're beautiful. <laughs> you do Will, that so well. William Baldwin. He's taking care of it. Nobody has actually studied this further than I have, and uh, I give them a lot of money. A lot of money. It's coming. It's my money. It's a lot of money. 
I'm going to stop that now. I'm making myself sick. So um, good. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and and he's he's been given this this character like this character who's criminally insane. Um, you know, in the I can only imagine they didn't actually make it that clear, but the mental hospital wing of the prison for being uh, an arsonist to the point of killing people and killing children. Um, So he's a really, really bad and terrible person, given a redemption moment to give a perspective on the – an arsonist perspective on another killer arsonist, Um, similar to what uh, Hannibal Lecter was given the opportunity to do. Um, which is there is a serial killer targeting these kinds of women. Why is he doing it? How do we catch him? But just don't ever do Hannibal Lecter light. Like don't no 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 and come close to that because you can't do it. Well, because and you know they I think they actually came out in the same year those films. Oh really? So yeah. um, Shit. Oh, guess what? Got nominated for the Oscars. Backdraft. (laughs) Yeah, so they can't even have done that point of reference then. Um, yeah, wow. Because, yeah, that it's it's unfortunate timing for backdraft. I think when he's going head to head with Sir Anthony Hopkins, we got to watch Science and Lambs again. I've yeah. only seen it once, and it was I watched it on TV, mm. like one of those. I'm going to the downstairs TV, and ooh, a movie that I was never allowed to watch as a kid is on because it was too brutal or sex yeah. or I don't know. Insert anything else here that made it inappropriate, and people have told me it's good. Then I watched it with fucking ads and all that shit amazing it was amazing it's it's always my one of my go-to films when someone says what's your favorite movie it's always in the first or second thing that i say um but the leads are essential yeah it's essential that you know clarice is not just a lady but that she is a young fbi agent yeah the way that they wind that i mean i know it's based on a book but i'm saying the way that they make that essential to the power play dynamic and she's trying to get information out of Hannibal and he's trying to get information out of her and he's treating it as a game and he's using it to try to escape and it's fucking all of it. It's just every you don't change anything. It's all essential. Everything is moving yeah. towards a destination and Hannibal is effectively a subplot yeah. because he's in it for 16 minutes. I know that because he won an Oscar for a 16-minute performance. Just like Alec Baldwin won an Oscar for some five-minute rant in what's that movie they turn or the play they turn into a movie that has a really weird name and it's about salespeople in some place. Anyways, <laughs> that movie, yeah, exactly. I gave you a lot to work with there, but he won. I'm pretty sure he won an Oscar or at least got an Oscar nod for what amounts to a five-minute cameo rant, and it is an amazing rant. Yeah, Glenn yeah. Gary, Glenn Ross. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep, yeah, I remember. Yeah, because there was some article about people who won Oscars for like the mo- the least amount of screen time. Yeah, but they both deserve it. Well, yeah, and look, that's sixteen minutes. There's a lot that fits into that sixteen minutes. Like, and it's not just quick. Give the great actor these lines, and like he'll say them, and it'll drive all the plot forward in all these crucial moments. He does get pretty much all the crucial moments, like seventy percent of them or something. But like. The, the the dynamics and the, the relationships that play out and the tension between characters pretty much, like, it's sustained outside of him, but it's those moments that make the film really remember, memorable for, for starters. But, see, the thing with 
that immediately I think sets the film apart from anything else is that within about what a minute, maybe less, you find out so much about him and about her in about one minute of dialogue and she only says like one thing. And um Is that where she repeats the line that the crazy guy says? Uh yeah. What's that guy's name? Migs. What did Migs say to you? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my god. It's so good. I want to watch it right now. Um because at first he's concerned and he's embarrassed because somebody was rude yeah. to, to a visitor. Yeah, his reasons for killing are um, incredible. Yeah, he was extremely like, he he was he was upset because of how rude that person was to a visitor. But he moves from that to deeply insulted that the FBI sent her. Yeah. Because he's he, worth more. Do you he, know who I am? Yes, and he sees that her um FBI uh, identification expires in seven days and that's because they've had to give it to her because they know that he'll notice it but he's he says to her this ex- this ex- uh, expires in one week and she has to f- like she he goes have you graduated and she has to say she hasn't and then that's when he goes you've just it, they think they can dissect me with this blunt little tool and then I could repeat the whole thing I'm not going to um, next and episode yeah <laughs> And Katie recounts the sounds of the lambs. Th- not like it, it's it's dialogue. It's not like it's very interesting dialogue, and it's a very interesting situation. Like a basement full of dreadful killers that an FBI agent has to go and visit and speak to. Stay I mean, stay on one side as you walk down. Yeah. Type so they can't touch you or grab you or, yeah, or throw anything they will at you. Try to get at you. Yeah. Respect the threat, even though it's behind bars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, it is, and 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 he, the the neatest and most polite of all of them, is behind a foot of plexiglass. Yeah, and you're looking at him, and you're like, this guy ain't shit. You know, he's not yeah. the rock. No, I'm not looking at this guy and yeah. thinking he's gonna kill me. But there's something about his presence where you're like, and it's not just his cell. You're like, this guy is to be feared, like yeah. immediately. Yeah, and it's um like. So little can transpire in that couple of minutes that tells so much, and that did it perfectly. Um, so yeah, for for poor old Donald Sutherland to have a similar task ahead of him with much poorer dialogue, and he is such a background to everything. Like they come to him and they're like, "There's a really bad person out there doing bad stuff that's killing and hurting firefighters. Why do you think he's doing it?" And all they did was like he gave a couple of insightful comments. And then they kind of called him out for still being nuts during his parole hearing, uh, which was conveniently kind of at the same time that they were talking to him and then they brought him back in and, you know, he needed this and he needed that and then he kind of gave some information that didn't really lead to much, you know. Then there's a whole bunch of time spent sort of on relationships and the firefighting profession and then a couple of other deadly backdrafts take place. But, you know, this time William Baldwin's a bit closer to the action and in danger and, oh, there's a moment with his brother. and Nobody's but, not. Yeah, That's, well, yeah. They say that the second act is where Bill's going to die and this, like, burns out quite a bit in the second act yeah. because it takes the main character away from the fire threat and puts him in that 
kind of administrative role playing second fiddle to De Niro's character and going to investigate stuff, which could be interesting, but it was never yeah. the main part of the movie. So the subplot becomes the main plot and it starts f- like because it it's set up that crime thriller thing, they kind of have to explore it with the less better actor, less interesting character who, um, yeah, is then forced to like, well, what would he do? Well, he's going to look at a fire after it's happened. Like, mm. Okay, that's boring. That's nowhere near as exciting as we, we saw him in the middle as the new guy being dragged into the shit and there's tension in this crew because everyone thinks that fucking Kurt Russell is a wild card. Yeah. Oh, my, what a setup. What a fucking setup. Like, that's awesome. That's dramatically rich. And it's like, yeah, now he's a pencil pusher. Mm-hmm. Like, he's quit. Yeah. Okay. Like, why? Yeah. Why? It was the wrong choice. Yeah, and um, there just isn't enough weaving of, you know, things like investigation, law enforcement. Like, it all, like, other dialogue and other things are said that take priority over those key elements that make a crime thriller a crime thriller. But it's not as exciting. I think the problem is that they led with the fire. Yeah. And then they've deferred for the second act, which is the the majority of the movie, you know, people who are listening for the first time and don't know the first act and the third act combined in length should equal the second uh, act in length so the second act the middle of the movie is the longest portion compared to the one and the three and and it's the middle and you're supposed to hit certain beats and set things up to lead to an inevitable conclusion and put your characters through trials and things like that but i think that yeah they, they made some some wrong calls and and starting with not just that whole backstory with the father dying in a fire which is in and of itself like a quite an exciting sequence the lead up it's very happy it's go take your kid to work day but it's utterly inappropriate because the the kids are being taken to work to go to watch a fire and the dad is obviously so confident that this is going to be another day at the office that he lets his son watch him and then he dies and then we cut to yeah. William Baldwin cutting his teeth with his brother who's like fearless and so they're in the shit with these fires and then the direction they decide to take the main character and therefore the main plot is wrong in my opinion. It's less exciting. And so you're looking forward to it cutting back to Kurt Russell because you know then there's going to be a fire and there's going to be something exciting and there's going to be the promise of what was set up initially. I know I'm very heavily hinting at my movie but yeah. Yeah, I mean, look. It was very bored in the middle. Yeah. And then they throw in a sex scene to throw in some heat, I guess. But it's weird and it's unsexy. And then they're on top of a fire truck. And And then they're like, and and the drugs way. And they're kind of cool with that. They're like, lol. Yeah, they just stay on the truck. But then they they end up at a crime scene where someone gets, if I recall correctly, horribly disfigured. Yes, yeah. And you're like. And they're not sure whether he lives or dies. And it's someone they both know. Why? And they're both like. <laughs> like oh. this is weird. Yeah. Like this is tonally <laughs> all over the fucking place. Yeah, it's really is it bad. sexy? Is it not? Is he going to be punished for having had sex on the top of this thing and not respecting it? Like that could have been a dramatic beat. You don't work here anymore, motherfucker. You're a pencil pusher. Get the fuck out. I don't think. It, does anyone question why he's there? I don't remember. I don't think they do. Um. Not really. No, that's actually not addressed. They don't understand. Like, I mean. The Maybe gag about the bra, no, and the is fact there? that she's there, like, ooh, like they, the, the one of the that's firefighters right, finds right, the yeah, bra, yeah, and you're yeah. like, oh, whoa. So they're playing it for comedy. Meanwhile, 
supporting actor putting in his showreel. Look at me, I was in backdraft. <laughs> he's fucking getting fucked up, and the makeup on him when he's hit is is confronting. Oh yeah, yeah. No, and it's um. This movie deserves its whatever rating it had, like its mature rating. Yeah. And it's not just because we've worked in a sex scene or we made them say fuck twice. Like it's it's brutal when people get hit by fire. It's brutal, and it should be. Like, it's that kind of movie that when they have you there and it's visceral and it's like you're feeling the heat. Like, you're watching it going, this is actually intense and I'm worried for the actors. Yeah. You should have that kind of feedback when someone gets hurt and shouldn't be that, you know, PG-13 cutaway from the grisly stuff. Like, I don't think it would be appropriate. And there's that guy in the car, remember, the car window? His house explodes and he ends up going through the car window and you see his legs at first is right at the yeah, beginning. Yeah, that's and that's hardcore. And then when you go yeah. inside and you cut to, like you see his face. They don't show it for a long time. It's not torture porn or it's not gratuitous, but you see it and you're like, "Oh fuck, like fire is to be respected." I mean, we all know that, mm-hmm. but like the the dangers that these they reinforcing that the dangers that they are facing are either death or horrible horrible disfigurement. Yeah. And yeah. it's that's important that they do that. Yeah, and um, you know that firefighters are considered heroes for a reason because they, they put themselves be. between civilians and like tragedy and panic and disaster. So, um, yeah, and I, look, I think it probably of all the things it did, it did showcase that quite well. Yeah, I think it did it respectfully. I think. Yeah, um, but and they had firefighters involved again. Trivia. Yeah, yeah. People marching at the end were all firefighters and stuff like that in the uniforms, and it's a beautiful shot. Yeah. Because it's you know, the most interesting character has died, and other people, I guess, but they're doing this full like military almost style procession to respect the their fallen comrades in arms, and it's effective. It's it's good, and to hear that they actually had actual firefighters involved and that is cool it's a nice touch absolutely and um you know Sh- uh, chicago i think has a um a proud firefighting history if um it's set in chicago isn't it yeah it is and, and they donated the the fire trucks yeah right I think all of them except the one that they rolled for that stunt which yeah. was plot wise good and execution not so great mm-hmm. but they donated them all afterwards. Like they built them and they donated them, which is again cool. Like giving back, and I think a certain percentage went to donating to the firefighters, and very cool. Like yeah. A lot of cool behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, yeah, and I'm led to believe it did very well. I haven't actually looked up the box office. It did well enough for it to get a sequel, right? Yeah, <laughs> albeit what twenty nineteen years later. Yeah, maybe we should f- watch it for a footnote. <laughs> <laughs> future yeah. no, episode. No, no, like 29 years later. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think anyone, when we're like, we're doing Backdraft 2, I don't think people are like, oh, hanging out for this episode, eh? No, no, we'll, yeah, we'll do it at some point, I guess. But No, we'll just watch it and say, it's trash, avoid. Ah, okay, yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I think of all things it did that well, um, but I, I couldn't get behind it from, you know, the more adult understanding of, them positioning this as a crime thriller with the threat of a person putting people in danger through really horrific means. Like, it's really bad what this person's doing. Yeah. Um, and Not just making fires, they're making the equivalent of a fire booby trap. Well, that's right. And it's similar to the, you know... Like it's an execution. Yeah, motherfuckers that do the, you know, bombing attacks where the bomb goes off and then there's a second one that is timed to get the first yeah. responders. I mean, yeah. that's... That is reprehensible and it's terrible and the damage 
caused is horrific. Um, and it just became a movie about sort of day-to-day relationship and family drama plus general firefighting, people getting pulled on and off jobs and then there's kind of this investigation all the way through. So, well, that, that sort of weaved in at moments convenient for the script, I guess, not to tell the right story. Um, Almost like they were trying to buy time. Yeah. Oh, we're going to make it two hours. How else can we, we make him go home to his estranged wife for some reason? And, and, and this time she's open to accepting his company. You're like, why? Yeah. This is fucking odd. It's, it's when they're like, this should happen rather than this has to happen. Yeah. Organically. Yeah. And it's um, like that for me kills it in my my modern view of, of it. yeah like it's for me it's just a slap and dash drama slash action but i'm i'm less inclined to call it action in view of what you said but um well, i mean there there are set pieces yeah, and i think when yeah. you think set piece of you being the royal you mm-hmm. you think set piece you think action movie like they've definitely got a really well thought through choreographed set up scenes where action happens in the sense of this fire. But in my mind, action is always like person versus person or monster, you know, rather than person versus the elements kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It's almost closer to a disaster movie in that respect, albeit the fires are lit by someone. So I guess there is that. But like, yeah, you know, action is uh, direct measurable conflict, not people putting out fires. Yeah, yeah, and it's um, yeah. I mean, I I would totally agree with that, and it was all too easy for me to just sort of say, yeah, well, it's a sort of a run of the mill action film. Um, you said that originally, didn't you? Kind of. That yeah. was your like, but that's valuable. That that was your thoughts. I was like, yeah, I remember it as it was an action movie. Like, yeah, let, let's watch it. As in, kind of like a, it's not it's not Predator or Die Hard level. Like, oh, it's essential. How did you miss this, Nathan? I was like, yeah, it's just an action movie from that era that if you get around to watching oh no like it's not i would never have put it in the like a a league of their own for me is like oh my gosh i can't believe you haven't watched it yeah and i'll be devastated if you don't like it but yeah anyway action movie right yeah yeah like Like a baseball a league of their own is like you know there's baseball and then there's a team of women with tanks and machine guns a league of assassins of their own actual original title (laughs) no but it's uh yeah i mean it it was never I would say essential viewing, but it's um it was just one of those things that I thought would be interesting, and it turns out it was, but it's just not the great film that I thought it might be. It's definitely something I should have seen. Yeah, like yeah. I, I, my awareness of it through pop culture stuff, and and the fact that I, yeah, feel like I missed out having not seen it. Yeah, when it was in vogue. Yeah, I, I, I'm like, when it came up, the opportunity for us to watch it recently, I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah. Let's, like, I think I gave you an option of movies and you're like, let's watch that. I'm like, I wasn't like, mm, okay, I guess that might make an episode. I was like, yeah, all right, cool. Because, I mean, I, I want to watch it. Hmm. And look, I really like visit, revisiting these these types of films, like Demolition Man's one I want to do and stuff like that. So Yeah, but you're thinking that we'd do an episode on that, but will we? I don't know, man. Is it Maybe. amazing? Is it terrible? Who knows? We'll find out. Um, but what's your movie, Katie? Hit us up with your movie. See, here's the thing, and here's my movie. I have read 
I shouldn't have done this and I usually don't before um, we we do these um, these episodes but I did have a look at some critical reviews and there are like there was backlash um, against one reviewer who's you know this is like a 9.5 out of 10 film for them um, with people saying well you know it's just an action film and it's just lowest common denominator Ron Howard crap you know and I actually don't think Ron Howard's crap I no. he's got some really great movies out Absolutely. there Absolutely. Um, so it's harsh. That's pretty. It's really harsh. Um, perhaps you could say that about this particular film, but not not the man's career. It's <laughs> a really arrogant thing to say. Yeah, yeah. And uh, for me, it, it was a little bit of an unfair comment. Um, but I certainly don't think it's a nine and a half out of ten film. And they're like, you know, it's just a stupid action film with no real threat except the fire, and nothing makes sense. I think the film makes sense. I just don't like what it says. No, it, um, it drops a ball on the execution. It doesn't stick the landing. Yeah, and, and it's got a good idea. Yeah, and this reviewer said something which I do and don't agree with, which was to this person in response to, to their comment that they'd made on a previous article that he then called out in another piece of writing. He backdrafted it. He backdrafted it into a future draft. Um, and... He said, this person doesn't get it. The, the threat was there the whole time. The enemy is the fire and it's its own character. Right. Now, I think that's just fucking stupid and, and lazy. It's not. It Well, I mean, you can interpret it that way, I guess, but I think you're looking at it through a bit like... I think you're getting a bit fucking insert dick-sucking motion here when you're going into that kind of level over something like this. And whether that is the intention of Ron Howard, I don't know. I didn't um, get that. Did you get that from that? No, I didn't. I think it's an interesting concept, but I don't agree with it at all. I, I think, think you could argue that the fire was its own character if there wasn't an arsonist. Exactly. Right? If we're talking like... It's an, it's if a, the, that's if this an was out. somehow set during the, the great fire of London, yeah, but was also somehow also... In Chicago, like if there was that equivalent, or if that fictionally there was that equivalent, this is that was the pitch. This is the great fire, and because of the buildings are built in a certain way and it catches on, and the firefighters are literally doing triage. Yeah, fuck yeah, the fire is its own character, it is a threat. And then you could say it was an action movie, absolutely, because there is a defined antagonist that people are fighting, but they, yeah, they, I don't know, but like, it's, it's and, and it's not that I'm immune to fucking metaphor. Like, I'm not expecting... I don't think they're treated it that way. When they say the fire is the threat and the fire is its own character. It's not because I'm it's not ex- I'm not fire. expecting the fucking human torch to walk out like... It's, it's, not, even a, it's not even a twist. Wait. They set it up initially. Yeah. And, like, if you haven't clued onto that initially, which you should have, by the time De Niro's character is introduced early on, he's investigating the cause of the fire because they suspect arson. Yeah. And then if they're like, nope, it wasn't arson, but fuck, we got De Niro to star in our movie. No. Yeah. It had to be arson. Yeah. And if it wasn't, it was going to be more deflating. <laughs> yeah, totally. And it wasn't arson. It was just the, the fire was the bad, the bad guy. That's the lesson here. Yep. What? And it was all a dream and he would never grew up and he's still a boy. No. Um, it, yeah. I mean, it's just fucked. But... Um, Here's my movie is that I would 
th- there's one of two ways it could go. I would either make it straight action and it would be probably paired back to one fire event and following a group of firefighters through the fighting of one fire. Like the raid. Yeah. But with fire. Yeah, or, you know, Die light. Hard or something like that, yeah, where, yeah. where it's one incident. Real it's, time it's not almost. general firefighting. Single location. Yeah. Firefighters are trapped, fire below, fire above. How yeah. do they get out? Fuck yeah. yeah. That's awesome. So there's that. And I think that, I mean, there's going to be less wow factor because there'll be less opportunity for huge practical effects. But you can still make it cool. Really? I think there's lots of opportunities if they're stuck, trapped. There's not outdoors sort of stuff, you know. Like, I mean, it's still it would still be extremely difficult and expensive. But, yeah, like, I don't know. I just, I think that that would be a much easier and more compelling focus than what Backdraft ended up being. Focus is a really good point. Yeah. Because it's unfocused. It's unfocused, They yeah. need to... F- Pick a lane, yeah. dedicate to it, follow through. Yeah. Are you a crime thriller? Do a crime thriller. Are you action? Do action. Are you a family drama that happens to be about firefighters? Do that. Yeah, and it's like I, I initially I thought about this the other day and I thought, well, what I really want, because I love crime thrillers. I think they're awesome. Um, and it's like, well, if it is a crime thriller, then let's make it one properly. Like let's seed the threat and make it something that everybody is talking about and thinking about other than, ah, there's some mug trying to kill us, see? Like, you know, every fucking hour somebody remembers that there's this dreadful arsonist serial killer out there and trying to do something about it. Um, That's the one spoiler I won't give away, by the way, because if you do watch it, I mean, it's not that much of a shock, but whatever. It's not great. It's not great. It's actually pretty shit, but... You can find out for yourself. And the point is that it requires explanation for it to make sense. Yeah, it's like the end of a Scooby-Doo episode. Yeah, where the they reason I did this was because <laughs> I was motivated by the... Yeah. Like, okay. yeah. So you haven't even, st- uh, you know, in your own mind, you haven't settled on this being the best course of action because you haven't sold it. Yeah. It hasn't made sense. Yeah. Um. So in terms of what my movie would be, I don't think I'd go down the crime thriller path because I wasn't able to think of something that I could successfully weave through that would still tell a firefighting story to the degree that I think this film set out to tell. It's making fucking fire puns left, right and centre. Straight up lit. And, you know, when I was thinking about this, I was 98 degrees. That's a band, isn't it? I don't know. Is it? Look, I don't know. Anyway. Um, But, yeah, so there's... Yeah, um... It's good. It would be really difficult to make it a true crime thriller while still. So you're ditching that. Yeah, well, like well, all well, action well, like because it, it still needs to tell that firefighting hero narrative. And who are you casting then? Yeah, because like because it's peak nineties. Like yeah, you got some good choices. You're like Bruce Willis. Yeah, and and fucking and Expendables of firefighting movies. Arnold Schwarzenegger, Bruce Willis, Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, and it's like backdraft. Yeah, and you don't. Um, like you've got Robert De Niro's role where he's doing fire investigations. Are you keeping him in your action movie? No. No, not a bit. If I was doing a crime thriller. Right, sorry, okay. He is the central character to all of that happening. Yeah. The 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 first responders in that sense and the the hero narrative that you could still do through a through following just the one incident in the action film that I've pitched. Um they're a step back from what a crime thriller should be should 
get through, I guess, to make it good in my opinion. Um, because, you know, they come in and they fight the fire, but they're not responsible for going through and doing a full, le- like holding water in a legal sense, in investigation of the fire. It doesn't That's, matter to them? Well, ever? they're just, they're... they're they're trying to rid the world of the threat, which is the fire. And once that's out, then they're not the ones combing through, finding evidence no. of who did it and why they did it and what started it and all the rest of it. That's they a, that's a separate role. Yeah. So um, the, all the firefighters in that sense would have to play second fiddle. Um, so it would be a completely different concept that's removed from, I think, what this film wanted to do. Yeah, Backdraft to background. Yeah, yeah. So, but if you – I mean – there is certainly room out there for a fire investigative team working with what would inevitably be the FBI if it was a fucking serial killer. Um, because he wasn't, was he? No. He was like some fiery. Yes. Yeah, I got burnt. Can't do that no more. Now I look at fires after they've happened. So, it would have been so much better if he was doing that accent. Yeah, so it's – um, yeah, I – Unfortunately, I don't think a crime thriller works how I would like to see it work. And it's no wonder that it got looked over for lots of gongs in favour of Silence of the Lambs. So you're ditching. I'm ditching the whole concept of a crime thriller. You have said action movie, then you've you've tried to explore crime thriller and you've found it wanting because for it to be backdraft and to be about firefighters, the firefighters are too background, so there's no point. Yep. Right. I'm going crime thriller for my movie. Lay it on me, string It's not me just... Doing it right now. There's one very specific thing I want to change about the movie um, that I will keep. I will keep the opening sequence with all of its hokiness and dad dying or whatever. I'll probably You're get kidding, ri- right? No, no. I'll keep that. I'll all probably right. get. I'll probably get rid of the fucking photographer happening to be there and winning a fucking Pulitzer Prize or whatever he wins for Time Magazine because it ultimately adds nothing. Yeah. It adds nothing, and you don't need the hokey hat to land in his hand. We don't need to see a fucking hat fly out to know that. The dad's dead, especially when we see his buddy come down fucking crying, trying to get dragged back in there, which is way more powerful. Yeah. But it was worth letting this kid real. We're going to cast William Baldwin as the dad. And that is because we're going to cast Alec Baldwin as the mum. The William Baldwin role, right? <laughs> Following so far? Not really. <laughs> William Baldwin gets to be a dad who dies in the beginning. Uh-huh. He looks uh-huh. a lot like Alec Baldwin. Yes. So we notice that they oh, look uh, a lot uh, like each other, but they're not the same fucking actor. Right. Okay. So, but you're you're picturing this. There's not like. If I wanted to lazy, here's my movie. This movie, I would literally say cast Alec Baldwin as the dad. Yeah. And then don't change anything else. That would be my laziest least effort. <laughs> here's my movie, right? Because the Kurt. <laughs> Russell as the dad and the brother doesn't work mm. because when I saw him coming out, I'm like, oh, there's a ghost. Holy shit, this guy sees ghosts. Did this movie just become fucking supernatural? Fuck yeah, nope. We're going to dialogue that away. And if you have to dialogue it away, you didn't make the right choice, right? So that would be my lazy way. My other way, because I don't like William Baldwin. No. I don't think that he, he's kind of like, did I make you watch Kingdom of Heaven? I've seen that before. The, the director's cut? Not the, the far superior version. The biggest problem of Kingdom of Heaven is Orlando Bloom. He's not a terrible actor. Now, I love me some Orlando Bloom. I think he is a fantastic Legolas. He's a fantastic uh, oh, boots, not bootstrap. 
William Turner in Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. He plays that role really well. Elucha, friend of the podcast, is going to hate me for saying this. He plays an amazing Paris in Troy because he plays a sniveling little shit to perfection, mm. right? So he is a supporting character actor. He's very good at that. Yeah. We've heard, you know, I'm sure you've heard about it before, directors, actors even talking about the challenge of being a leading man or a leading woman. Like the leading actor or actress or whatever you want to say is hard. Yeah. Like not just in terms of bankability like your Tom Cruises and your Will Smith back in the day. It's the idea of you have to carry a movie yeah. And if you do not nail the character, if you do not make them that amazing je ne sais quoi mix of charismatic and edgy and bad and three-dimensional and whatever, whatever fucking adjectives you want to throw at it, if you don't do that, the movie suffers. Kingdom of Heaven should have been gladiator-level awesome and loved. And the big blind spot, and this is a Ridley blind spot, is that he cast Orlando in the lead. Now, I'm a Colin Farrell sucker, and I know Joby's laughing right now. Like, you fucking love Colin Farrell. But Colin Farrell would have played the shit out of that role, but anybody else who's actually proven that they can carry a film, insert any other actor of that appropriate age of that time, anyone could have done that. He is the weak link. And you can hear, when he tries to nail it, you can hear that he's, He's trying, yeah. trying to be a leading man rather than being a leading man. Mm. And the plot is fantastic. The director's cut fleshes out the story in such a way that makes his character on paper so fucking interesting, but his execution is lacking. Now, that's a problem of casting, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's not the only problem of backdraft. But I just, I think reading trivia, they offered it to Alec and Alec said, why don't you go with my brother? Which sucks because <laughs> Alec Baldwin would kill any role, but he would kill a leading man role. And I think if we'd had William as the dad, which is a nice nod, and we're like, oh, that's trivia, but that's also sad. And they look alike and like we're, we're lining things up because like they, that, that looks like it could be his dad, but it's his brother because we know. And then you've got Alec playing the main role, yeah. right? But he's not the main role, actually. I know this is getting confusing. Because what they did was, I'm going to tangent again. Far be it from me. Have you seen a movie called The Proposition? Mm -hmm. uh, Nick Cage? Yes. Not to be confused with Nick Cage. Yeah. Wrote it in, and I think I'm remembering an Alex Ango story from university here. Wrote it in two weeks and uh, Nick Cave bragged that it would have taken him one week, but it took him a week to figure out the screenwriting software. <laughs> now yeah. for me, that encapsulates my disappointment with that movie. Mm. There's a fantastic idea. Yeah. At the core of it, there is great scenes, there is great characters, there is uh, very, very good casting, like exceptional casting. But they've made the mistake of thinking that Guy Pierce's character is the lead when it's actually the brother who is sent to hunt, who is a murdering rapist philosopher. And that's very confronting, but it's, it's telling a Tarantino story, it's telling a story about bad people, but his character is the most interesting and he's sidelined. Now, the reason I say that um, in relation to Backdraft is because when you brag about writing a script in two weeks, it's like if your script isn't somehow amazing, which it shouldn't be if you've written it in fucking two weeks, no. you've written a first draft and what you have is potential. And if you went on and went through the process and gave it to people and ripped it apart and put it in a drawer and pulled it out as Stephen King suggests and reappraised, you would say 
what if this person was the lead? Rah, rah, rah. Kurt Russell plays that character and has said yes to that role because he has picked the most interesting character. Oh, and he was, th- that was the, like, we're talking his, the peak of his career at that point, like 80s, 90s action dude. Like, yeah. He, He's not he, like, I need to do this one to stay relevant. It would have been a vehicle for him, like, at the end of the day. I mean, William Baldwin is extremely handsome. That's it. And, yeah. He's not terrible. But he's, he's not. But he's not amazing. Amazing, and he's no. got to. He's got to be in scenes with Kurt Russell. Yeah, but like it's like, yeah, we've got De Niro, we've got Donald Sutherland, and it's all hinged on Kurt Russell's new vehicle for you know suspense, drama, action. Like, okay. I just think it that did, <laughs> it didn't really work out that way. Um, maybe they realized this when they were shooting it, but like Kurt Russell character not just because it's Kurt Russell yeah. Kurt Russell is amazing is the more interesting brother the one yeah 100% one whose dad died in the fire and he wasn't at the like his dad picked his brother so he was the one left behind yeah so he didn't even get to have that last moment with dad writing like his uh-huh. last moment with dad was dad rejecting him yeah and his response to that is my dad rejected me went into a fire and died and now I say fuck you fire and my dad got killed by fire you know how I'm going to one up my dad I'm going to beat fire holy shit this guy is fucking nuts and yeah. like they 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 do explore that but they they don't fully explore it because they have to keep cutting back to the main character yeah i would keep things fundamentally the same in that i would have the crime thriller stuff, I'd have the backdraft being lit by somebody, mm. right? We'll discover that later in my pitch. Um, but I would have that be background yep. because we start with the fire, we explore more of the fires in the first act. We have the same thing where Alec Baldwin, now replacing William, is the, I've dropped out, I don't know what I want to be, I'm going to be a firefighter now. And he's given a trial by fire, literally. <laughs> and... Plays out much the same. He's humiliated and he's not that great. And he ends up washing out and going to work with De Niro. The same thing, except we spend the majority of the second act with um, Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell's character, now the main character, fighting fires. And we we get to see how far he's pushing his team, how important it is to him. Meanwhile, we get Bro going off with De Niro and looking into stuff and and ultimately it plays out that the, the blind spot is like they, they do the fake thing of like, it's going to be my brother who did it, but you actually build up to that and earn it where mm. it is actually Kurt Russell who's setting the fires. And he is obsessed. Like he's, they've already set him up as obsessed. Like he thinks he can beat fire. He can't beat fire. No. Right? Like if you approach fires the way that he approached fires, he would have been fired. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it's, um, <laughs> um, it's, it's, something that it's it's sort of like you know i'm gonna beat tornadoes i mean so he is lighting bigger yeah more insane fires yeah and then that the, which they they never explore this you know the the fire truck you're on fire truck 17 or whatever it is yeah for some reason that's the frontline call for everything even though assumedly the fire stations would be proximity based and while you might if your fire is closer you would be there first are they in a particularly fiery part of the world like yeah. it doesn't make any sense and it's not a recent legacy. It's like the, the legacy that's been there since the dad. So that whole thing could actually work if it's been manufactured by 
Kurt Russell. And you get to a point where brother, Alec Baldwin now, has to realize that it's his brother who's creating the fires, lighting the fires, becoming obsessed with the fires. And does he want to protect brother or does he have to stop brother? So you end up in a very similar kind of set piece at the end in the fire, but you don't have this other random guy explaining in two minutes why he did it and then trying to ax Baldwin in the head. Like he became a villain all of us, like, what was he doing there? Like, he actually seemed like a good guy. Well, and it's, and it, like, driven to psychosis almost. He was, and they, then, they were shutting our places down, man. They were killing our people. Like, I get, I'm sympathetic towards your cause, guy. And yeah. you weren't trying to kill people. Well, you weren't trying to kill your people. Yeah. It just happened to play out that way. And I would have, yeah, Kurt Russell, you wouldn't see him lighting fires, but you would get hints at him and they're bigger and it's about his obsession with fighting fires and he can't do it alone. He's Maybe he's trying to do it alone. Maybe he's trying to say, no, I'll go in, I'll go in. And people are following him because there's this camaraderie that they established. So he cannot separate from that and these, he is ultimately putting his people in more and more of a threat. So he's very good at what he does, but he's also like a firebug who puts out fires. Yep. And his brother has to kind of confront him in the end and maybe they're the only two left that, know what's going on yeah and then i'd have the baldwin one die saving kurt russell's life yeah gets kurt russell out kurt russell gets early and what happened what's going to happen now and i'd leave it on that inception because i'm a prick inception spinning top moment you know what's he going to do next what is he going to do is he is he going to learn from this like it's effectively his fault that his brother's dead yeah. He created the fire that his brother came and saved him from and because of the training that was established in the first one. Mm. And you set up the brother as like an antagonist because he starts investigating these fires and there's Kurt Russell because we don't get to see him actually lighting them or creating them or whatever, going like, man, I'm just fucking trying to do my job. People like you are stepping on our toes, getting in our way, treating us like we're you know, suspicious, whatever. So there's this tension there. And then the little brother ends up coming at the end and fucking saving big bro because – fuck, you're my brother, you yeah, piece right. of shit. Like, I'm not going to let you die. And maybe he was going to sell him out, but like Kurt Russell doesn't kill him, but he ends up outside and it's all like, what happened? Mm. What happened? You know, how did it... Why have you done this? No, 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 nobody knows. So, so they still don't know. So no, like his firefighter buddies are fucking dead. Like, oh, they've okay, all died. Right, okay. Like they're starting to die off. And they, whatever last one, who could be the guy who they pinned it on in the actual movie, is there like... Maybe he's suspected and there's like this sad moment and it, it doesn't – they have that awesome line that I'm a, I'm a sucker for those sentimental things like uh, we all go or none of us, whatever that thing was like we don't leave anyone behind. Yeah, it's like leave no man behind but it's like it's one of us or none of us sort of thing. Yeah, yeah like yeah. that idea and so Kurt Russell's been called out and this guy – It's been, all of us or none of us rather. Who's sorry. been buddies, you know – with him and and now knows that it's Kurt Russell who does it and maybe Kurt Russell's in some compromised position and Kurt's like, oh, fucking leave me. You know, I'm, I'm responsible. You don't deserve this. And he's like, it's all of us or none of us. And then he dies. Yep. And so Kurt Russell's character has this moment of like he can grow from it and then his brother as well comes in to save him and his brother's dead. So he's lost everything. And then it's kind of left with this open-ended question of what happens next. Like will he choose to continue to do this will he confess is he guilty is he going to confess is he going to change and try that he hope that he can change it because again he's an exceptional firefighter yeah like his whole thing is that like he's a thrill seeker 
who happens to be being on fire. Yeah. But that way you keep the whole crime angle and it would be so entwined that by when it came to the ending, it would make sense. Oh, it's him and oh shit, we've been following this guy because he's actually like the best damn firefighter I've ever seen, but he's also the fucking fire starter. I don't know how I feel about this. And the supporting character who's been this annoying little brother, washout, what a piece of shit, couldn't keep up with the heat, so he got out, uh, is actually right and sacrifices. So I think you could get the the crime thriller slash drama thing that you took understandably took exception to. You could you could make that better. Well, I think I think what you've pitched there is a um, it certainly keeps the dramatic tension there and. Would you say that the audience is in on the brother being the perpetrator? No, no, no. I mean that like that would be a reveal. A reveal. That's a reveal. And okay. that that would be when yep. the Baldwin brother realizes it. Like, okay. And so similar kind of pacing in terms of when he goes and confronts him at the boat or goes and finds the oh it's the evidence he's got this and they have to explain that away and it amounts to nothing. That would be the moment they realise instead of William Baldwin awkwardly acting like, oh, yeah, I thought I left my keys here, man. <laughs> it would be this subtext rich moment of Kurt Russell knows that his brother knows yep. and there's this conversation that's effectively what are you going to do about it? Yep, yep. You know? And there's another fire that he started that's just happened that comes over the radio or whatever. Like, so it it ceases to be important at that moment that Kurt Russell has started that fire. It just needs to be put out and let's deal with this once the fucking, you know, once the fire's out and that's the fire that ultimately ends up being that ending yeah. sequence. Okay. For me. No. But I'm, like- I'm more excited about your idea of the action movie. <laughs> oh, really? So I'm like, holy shit. Like I'm just seeing the raid and – going in there and it, it's under control and then the bottom catches fire and the top catches fire yeah, and, like, and then you're like, I don't know how they're going to get out. How the yeah, fuck are they going to yeah, get out? Like, like, I mean, mine's the dumbass version. I don't think it's the dumbass version like, at all. The, the way that they shot those fire sequences more lends it to an action movie yeah, like I than just, to I a think, crime thriller. And it's, yeah, like if you're going to be, a, if it's going to be a crime thriller, it needs to be more considered and it needs to encompass that from the beginning and keep calling back to it. Like, there has to have a, a mystery. There has is to have a, a threat. Off. Something is happening. Things, people are dying. Things are happening. Everybody's focused on it. Things are happening. People are mentioning it. It doesn't go away. The threat is there. People are scared. It keeps going. Like, that is what a crime thriller is supposed to be. Like if you look at Silence of the Lambs, if you look at um, uh, like The Bone Collector, like things like that. Like Oh, there's another one to watch. Man. Yeah, like there are um, like, I don't know. I Perhaps if you're expecting like a bang, bang, bang. Seven. Yeah, seven. Like there is a threat Visual there. suspects. And, and it's a slow, like I've heard of people saying um, Silence of the Lambs is quite slow. I wouldn't say it's a slow film, um, but I wouldn't say it's action-packed. Um, slow is usually meant as an insult, right? Yeah. Slow doesn't have to be bad. Blade Runner is slow. Yeah. And you love that. Blade Runner 2049, I adore. Yeah. And that is probably slower. It's pretty slow. But it's yeah. interesting. That's the difference, right? Yeah. Like, am I engaged with the characters? Do I want to know what happens next? Can they make a talky-talky scene compelling? I mean, the answer is obviously yeah. yes, you can in theory do that. But do they do it? Do yeah. they make this sequence, like, utterly impossible to cut? 
Yeah. Like you're not like, oh, it's so boring. If I just got rid of that, it would improve the pacing or whatever. Like if the average punter is watching it and wanting to look at their phone, that's a problem. Yeah, and look, it, I mean, you're talking about like whether the person's actions were the result of desperation or noble at the time or whatever. Backdraft is the, like if you're looking at it as a crime thriller, they're talking about a serial killer. This is someone yeah. who... It's not a mass murderer, as in someone that's killed a bunch of people on the same day or within a very short period of time. One fire, multiple it, deaths. Yeah, it's someone that over a sustained period has killed more than three people. Yeah, and it's considered... That, that, that is the definition. And they of have a, a calling killer. card being a backdraft. Uh-huh. So um, that that's that's a big deal. Um, in, in Silence of the Lambs, you've got a cannibal that's advising the FBI investigation into someone that is basically kidnapping and killing chubby women because there's enough give in their skin for him to make outfits out of it. It's immediately horrific. Um, And that actually, in a not-so-obvious way, happened. Like, that that serial killer is based on Ed Gein, who killed a bunch of people and made stuff out of him. Like, he had, like... Oh, that's right. A belt made of nipples and shit like that and left his... It all started after his mother died and he just left the body of his mum in a chair in the house while he did all this because that's totally normal and awesome. So, um, like, yeah, if, if you're introducing, like, a, a serial killer sort of element, then, like, no, no matter how you cut it, there's usually something really bad there that's really horrific. Like, it doesn't have to be totally bizarre, but it's, like, they're, they're, they're someone that's, insane like even if yeah. they just walk up and shoot someone with a gun and even don't you, do and don't do anything else like it's still fucking bad even if you can <laughs> understand their motivation yeah yeah <laughs> it doesn't change the facts yeah yeah so i mean yeah. i would say that it's um like your your idea of making it that from the beginning is is far more focused especially if You've got everyone, like, it, it should play on, if there's a fucking serial killer on the loose, especially one that's killing the people you work with and could kill you, that's probably worth talking about more than it was in Backdraft, where it was just sort of like, <laughs> I hope this isn't another Backdraft. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know. It, it feels like it was one or two drafts shy of them actually finding the real meat. Yeah. Like, they had, yeah. it's got some great ideas, but it it seems torn between a couple of different ways of doing it. Like you said, the... Is this a firefighter's day-to-day movie and the bureaucracy is something that gets in the way of them doing their job, which could have worked as a standalone movie, just as a drama, or is it a crime thriller where the firefighters are the ones having to deal with the consequences of this deranged killer? Yeah. Yeah. And um, I I think there's there's a very interesting story to tell there and I think that yours um, would definitely do that more justice. Mine is potentially too far the other way. Not at all. Um, no way. Well, mine's like, you know, the fucking Fisher-Price version of it all. But, you know, I still think it would be interesting. But that's just me. No, that, that totally makes sense. Like, they people think of it as an action movie. You said, oh, it's, a, it's an action movie. It's Look not amazing. And I could see on your pitch immediately that yeah an action movie it would totally work as an especially action if you're movie. looking at it when i was a kid you know like yeah all i was trying to do was um expand on what the elements that they set up 
Because I think there's actually yeah. yeah, there is a great movie within Backdraft. I just don't think that they they. No, there's too it. much shit all around it. Like there's, there's too much like we don't yeah. know what we're doing, and that's why yeah. movies get boring in the middle. Yeah, is because they're like, oh, we could do this or we could do that, and they're not saying. They're not laser focusing like everything has to lead up to an inevitable ending, especially with a crime thriller. You don't want a 30-minute sequence of them explaining. As my biggest problem with fucking Shutter Island is that the <laughs> more interesting story is explained away in 20 to 30 minutes of exposition. And it requires that long, at least for me, because I was like, nah, this is a bit, this is another bit. Like, this is not real. And I'm like, no, it is actually real. What the fuck? And they yep. had to dedicate that amount of time because of the more interesting conspiracy theory-laden detective story that was at the heart of the movie. Yeah. They had to say, no, no, that's actually bullshit. And you're like, no, it's not. No, I don't believe you. No, it's actually bullshit. We're sitting down now with Ben Kingsley. Sir Ben Kingsley is now telling you, Nathan, this story is bullshit. Like, yeah. Fuck off. But it's more interesting. It doesn't matter. I'm like, well, you've, you've created a twist that's deflating. And it's not deflating in the kind of way of a, you know, a Lord of War um, or an Arlington Road where it's harrowing or a fucking seven. Yeah, yeah. You know, deflating in the sense that the bad guy doesn't, the bad guy wins, doesn't have to be, a de- like that is disheartening and it's, it can be brutal. But it's not like, oh, really? Yeah. Really? And the final line of that movie, the final scene of that movie is amazing. And, and everything leading up to these bits where they explain that what you've been watching is a crock of shit. Yeah. Um, and that reminds me of another movie that we have to watch. But, yeah. And I think both know, of our I, – I like it when both of our ideas are really different. Yeah. Like a I hope, that, I hope our listeners do too. Yeah. Uh, let us know, you know. Um, and look, really, in, in terms of Seven – we had Gwyneth Paltrow's head in a box, but was there a jade egg in her box? A vagina candle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> no, but there was like some thing that you stick up your hoo-ha. She's I don't know. fucking weird. I know. And a kid's called Apple. And it was, and that the kid was called that right before Apple like took off as a big... Modern day. There's <laughs> nothing wrong with calling your fucking kid John or Jane or like you're not going to win awards. I'm someone who's got a fucking boring name. Uh, I get it, but there's nothing wrong. Like d- I preferred Nathan over. Oh, we called him um, Supercar Sixteen. <laughs> Why? <laughs> it's not a fucking name. Oh, we we called him Streetlight. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why do you hate your child? I'm actually I'm calling my first child Skrillex. Skrillex, well, yeah. that's a fucking badass name. And then, like, it'll drop ass, and I'll be like, wait for the drop. Oh, but it's already dropped <laughs> ass. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be the challenge. Yeah, no, I'm, I don't want to think about that. Um, okay, so we basically will make two better films than what we got. Yeah, fuck you, Ron Howard. Who are you? Yeah. Who's going to remember your name? <laughs> Um, so when are we going to do that? What? Like make them. Make these movies? Yes, with Robert De Niro, oh, Donald never. Sutherland. Oh, okay. Never. Yep. Yeah. All right. Oh, well. That was fast. Well, that's the end of the podcast. <laughs> 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 well, I personally would like to thank you all for listening to this episode. This was episode 11. We covered Backdraft. Please... Get in touch with us if you have your own version of 
what you think this movie should be. We or actually about anything. We read everything. everything out. Did you not hear the stuff we read out? We yeah, read fucking send anything. us anything. Um, send us eggplant and we'll read that out. <laughs> um, so, and you can be part of the podcast relatively easily as well. So um, if you go to anchor.fm forward slash here's my movie, you can leave a voice message really easily and we can just play it back on the podcast. So you can literally say like, my balls are hot and I will put it in here. So you should be forced to. You're yeah. The first yeah. one. We have to. So um, that's an opportunity for you to either leave something stupid or leave something serious or ask a question or whatever you want. Make a suggestion and we can play it back on the podcast. So you can actually be part of the action there. Um, otherwise, just hit us up at here'smymovie.com um, and from there you'll see all our social links. There's a contact us page. You can send us an email real quick. Uh, I'd like to thank our thank yeah that's me now. I'd like to thank our friends of the podcast, Movie Weekly. We've sprigged earlier. Ray with the greatest cinema in Australia, Ray Bannerman, runs that, and occasionally I write reviews for it. Occasionally, Katie writes reviews for it. It's going to be a lot um, less on the reviews front these days, considering that there's no screeners to go to and no movie theaters and whatever. But may the world adapt and we can watch them all digitally. We actually do have a digital movie to watch. So we'll probably talk about that on our next um, episode. And The Gap. Yes. If you like games, if you like hearing people rant, listen to The Gap. It's the greatest gaming podcast, I'm told. Occasionally I'm on it, so on those episodes at least it is actually the greatest gaming podcast. <laughs> but uh, they go out weekly, so check them out. Yeah. Um, I enjoy The Gap also, and I think that's really cool. What are we doing on the next episode, Katie? Do you want to know what I've written down for the next episode? Um, I don't because I'm going to tell you what we're doing. Oh, okay. I'll put that down. Yep. Um, we're going to be reviewing uh, 16 hours of ASMR videos from one of my favorite YouTube ASMR people, Fred's Voice. Um, he's a man that looks like Chris Hemsworth who talks about building Lego and doesn't. Fuck ASMR. <laughs> <laughs> Katie fucking showed me this fucking shit. It, <laughs> It feels like <laughs> there's a certain percentage of the population that uh, to whom coriander tastes like chemicals. Like yes. it's an actual thing where it's not like, oh, you'll get used to it. Like I used to hate mushrooms as a kid. Now I fucking love them. It's not that. You literally eat it and it tastes like chemicals. It does not taste like coriander should taste as some sort of herbal additive to a meal. And I am not one of those people, so I enjoy coriander. Not I wouldn't dish of it obviously but as a garnish it's great asmr feels like that to me apparently katie's telling me there's some fucking weird feeling that you get in your head and it can help you sleep and she sent me this fucking video of this fucking prick tapping his fucking fingers on a lego x-wing and never <laughs> like not making it for the first 20 minutes and and he's he's talking like this and yes the that's part of it fuck the lip chapping i'm told is absolutely essential and i don't know if you can hear this but that's and if you're getting those fucking tingles you're fucking weird like katie so so email no, her it's about not lo- how he's it's making it it's a thing it's more of a thing i just hated him she I said know you I'm, hate I'm, I'm, him. i just hate this guy i hate him and everything that he stands for it's fred's voice he's very good there's a video where he tucks you in at night and he go he says all the things that you would say to someone if you were tucking them in bed and i always fall asleep to that so if you do this a little bit. But it's look, if ASMR is only – the triggers can be lots of things and there's a whole bunch that don't 
trigger my ASMR Hashtag feeling. Triggered. Yeah, so like... Sounds a little bit too much like asthma to me, ASMR. Yeah. It leaves me short of breath because I'm so angry <laughs> how much that I hate No, but there's, there's a whole bunch of people that, that'll get like paintbrushes and like wipe them across the microphone and stuff like that. Do the ASMR test and email us. Like let us know yeah. whether you are Team Katie, weird lover No, no, but I don't like all tapping. the bullshit... Tapping and shit. I fucking love you. Sent me that no, video. No, it needs to be calming voices at whispered usually. I try to do it, and Katie says, "You're not doing it right. You're not doing it right. It's got to be the right environment." She can tell I don't. I don't believe in it. Yeah, exactly. It's it's illusionary. It, it breaks the illusion. Exactly. Anyway, so listen to ASMR, I guess. No, Our don't. Next don't episode will don't, be don't bother. I was that, just trying to piss Nate. What I actually, yeah, fucking well done. Fucking trailing off, and now I'm back to full energy. Correct. Our next episode is parenthesis. No, not parenthesis. Ellipsis. Dot, dot, dot. Let us know. Oh. I mean, there's a damn good chance if you let us know an episode, we'll do it because clearly we're desperate for you to contact us. We read out everything. We will play anything, as Katie has said. Uh, So send us something and, you know, we'll do an episode on it. All right. Deal. Deal. Or if you don't. We'll do something else. Or if we don't feel like it, like if you recommend Midsummer, I'm going to pretend like the email didn't come through and tell, like, make Katie feel crazy that she saw it because, ah, oh, we're going to do it someday. I'm going to hate it and hate it so much. It'll be fine. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. And we will see you soon. Please do get in touch. Here's mymovie.com is your starting point. We'd love to hear from you. On Facebook and Twitter as well. Facebook, Twitter, but it's all... We've got two followers on Twitter, so please follow us on Twitter. (laughs) Send me anything on Facebook, I'll reply. Um, I'm in charge of social. I don't think I'm very good at it. So (laughs) please interact with me so Katie doesn't realise I'm not doing anything. (laughs) Au revoir. Bye-bye. Bye.